I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies but inevitably talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Shane Cole. To his left is... Colin Hurt. It's Crack. Colin's back. Yeah, buddy! (laughs) Finally. Yeah, Don couldn't make it this week again, so fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> the contract was never up. What y'all drinking? See, you ask me this every single week, and I think it's becoming a bit of a null I'm, point now. I'm, I'm going to pressure you into changing your fucking drink. Right, see, next week I'm going to become a change man and bring some noodle to the table. But get a bottle of sherry that we were talking about. <laughs> Just drink sherry all night. All of a sudden we become right. the Guardian podcast. That's a show about fucking uh, a danger bottle for another forever in Tesco. I am drinking yet again, Michael. Vodka and Pepsi Max. It's it's the old favourite. The usual. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, bro. That's what the fans been calling out for. Notice <laughs> I said fan. <laughs> well, I mean, like I remember that one week that obviously I, I drank Coke Zero. There, you know, there was there was, there was, a, there was a, yeah there was outrage. People were unsettled about that shit. Like we got a, we got an email. No, we've never got an email. It was from Gmail. Like saying <laughs> thanks for signing up. <laughs> <laughs> Were you drinking, Aaron? Uh, drinking a, a lager called Canadian. It's my first time uh, drinking it. But, How do you um, feel about it? How's it going down for you? It's going down well. It's my second round now. Happy days. And then I started drinking three minutes ago. So yeah. <laughs> I, think, so I think we're a couple of minutes in the box. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, I inhaled that one. <laughs> but, but B, you have a crate beside you. Uh, <laughs> well, a, wee, a wee black hole of bottles there. Maybe some more Canadian. There are a few surprises on there. The end of this podcast is going to be very interesting, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just drinking uh, vodka and lemonade, but real lemonade made with real lemons. Oh, see, I mean, last week you had that cocktail thing going on, which is your signature cocktail. What do you call it again? Uh, or uh, cherry orchard. Yeah, and I t- and like we said, but it wasn't actually a cocktail. It was a, it was yeah. It's just it's just vodka with like lemonade, but it's a it's a it's a fruity lemonade. Aye, but no, the cherry, cherry orchard. orchard? The cherry orchard. Because it has apples and cherries on it. Sounds like a really middle class street there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the actual cocktail has has <laughs> alcoholic apple sours and cherry sours on it. Yeah. So it's mo- last week I wasn't drinking. You did though, just for a listener. You actually uh, loved up to your promise. You did make me another one last week when I couldn't remember what it was, and it was excellent. I left here a very happy man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make you that last week. I oh, didn't. You know? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I no, it drinking. was it was it was just it was it was cherry and apple Fanta. I was mixing vodka away. I said it tasted like it, but it it doesn't have the same alcohol content. Tasted all the same to me, Paul. It does taste the same. <laughs> it's the very same. Okay, uh, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I like how we discussed before this that even though we're doing a film podcast, that I only I think watched one film this week, but it was a good one. It was a good one. I watched uh, Margin Call. It's a uh, 2011 drama by J.C. Chandor, I think I'm pronouncing that right, recently had out uh, A Most Violent Year, which I've also recently watched. Uh, it's a really good film. I've always heard uh, all these great things about it, and the fact that the the, uh, the script is apparently really, really tight, and uh, the performance has obviously got a stellar cast. You've got like uh, Kevin Spacey, Stanley Tucci, who's obviously our podcast favourite, <laughs> Zachary Kento, Demi Moore, uh, 
what I love about it is that it is a film where nothing actually really happens. It's a lot of, you know, fucking suits, people in shirt and tie, sitting about a table, Just chatting about... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it could actually near enough be a chamber drama. It's uh, these suits in this fucking like high-rise New York building talking about the impending financial crisis based on kind of true events apparently this is what happened a lot of fucking big firms just before it actually came about they could obviously foresee it and it is luckily just all these kind of high earning people talking about how much it's going to fuck up the world and besides dialogue and people kind of looking really shifty and you know shaking themselves nothing really actually happens but it's just the strength of the script is so good and because I think we're living through the recession and we've kind of came through it uh, well not fully came through but because we've lived through that and we know the ramifications of what they're talking about. I think that makes it way more powerful. I think if it was some kind of uh, fictional event that was happening, then the film would have fallen flat in its face. It's very much a film in its time period. I do think that maybe in 20 or 30 years, if, if like younger people, like 19 or 20 year olds, go to watch it, I don't think they'll really get the, the punch of it. I think mm. they'll kind of see it as mm. a bit flat because they're thinking, well, why, why was this so respected yeah. in its time? Well, Hopefully in 20 or 30 years there'll be another recession. recession <laughs> well, until they get another recession just to get margin call the kudos at the serves. Yeah. There's another one about the recession. It was uh, The Company Man, did you ever see that? I haven't actually, but I've heard it's excellent. It was very, very good. Hey, it was uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Costner, and uh, I'll just a few other actors. But it's around the same time they work for this big massive company that I think Tommy Lee Jones set up with uh, somebody else but then when the recession comes I think Chris Cooper's on it as well oh he's so good he's brilliant we were chatting a few weeks ago about the rock being franchise Viagra I wouldn't quite say that Chris Cooper's got the same appeal as the rock <laughs> but he's one of those uh, as we said one of those actors like fucking he's Chris Cooper Chris Cooper he's from like uh, American Beauty he's in The Town he's in uh, what else Chris Cooper in The Muppets movie what, what <laughs> which is he's, he's, he's Jason Bourne's fucking trainer you're an eight million dollar malfunctioning machine soldier and all that there. Uh, Brian will be saying. He's an ex, but he's one of those actors that That's for me anyway. I'm shite at getting lines. Exactly. <laughs> I have noticed that any time we try and do an impersonation of a line in a film, we always must quote the line and sound fucking nothing like the actor <laughs> whatsoever. Like, I see. Before we start doing this podcast, I thought we were really good at impressions. Yeah, uh, we were probably I've noticed. Really pretty true. Yeah. Oh, fuck me, I need to go to school on that one. <laughs> People used to come up like I wouldn't say come up to me. They don't know yourselves and go. Oh, I've heard. I've heard you're good at doing the old impression. But like a couple of my friends, maybe they were just trying to be nice and placate me. But a lot of my friends be like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're good at that impression. You're good at that impression. I fucked it. I'm fucking awful. I think that the standard in dairy for impressions must be null. <laughs> I mean, if, if I can achieve anything whatsoever. <laughs> I, I used to do a half decent bean, but I'm not going to put that in my CV. I'm not going to do it right here, right now. Uh, you watch anything, Heron, this week? I watched uh, Beautiful Gears. That's, that's the name of my film. What do you call it? Uh, <laughs> it was, I thought you were just addressing me and Shannon. I thought you were talking about porn. Uh, <laughs> uh, just hanging out the one there. I set up an app, Stuart. Up a tree behind a bush. Anywhere you can find them. It's a film. It was, it was made of. I think in 1982, and it has Matt Dillon, Timothy Hutton, uh, who else is it? Timothy Hutton, uh, Noel Emmerich, he was Jim Carrey's best yeah. friend in the Truman Show. He's an excellent actor, really, really on the road. Aye, and Natalie Portman, I think, in her, in her first or second role, I think it might have been just after Leon, or right. two roles after Did Leon. Did you say 92? Well, Leon, was, not, maybe, Leon was 94, so maybe a wee bit later. But anyway, it's Natalie Portman. It's about 90s anyway, so it's irrelevant, but yeah. But it's... It, it, I mean, it, it's a well-trodden path, a story, but I think the the characters that uh, they've written are just, they're really good characters, really... What's it about? It's, it's Timothy Hilton as a, 
uh, like a piano player in New York. Yeah. I think it's New York. It's a major city anyway, and then uh, it's East Coast, and then he just uh, has a bit of an identity sort of crisis, whatever. He's not making that much money, so he goes back to his hometown, this wee small town, and it's like a winter town and all, and there's like, you know, ice skating on the the lake and all this yeah. kind of stuff and all, and it's, it's not set at Christmas, but it has a Christmas sort of feel to it in parts, and my Thurman's on it briefly as well. And, uh, look, it's just, um, about him trying to figure out what he wants to do with his career, what he wants to do with his girlfriend, is he going to get married and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, I mean, it's because it's the town they were at when they were at high school and stuff. There's yeah. all these high school uh, guys and all. And uh, what do you call her? The one that played fucking Swanson and Dumb and Dumber. She's in it as well. Oh, shit. Jim Carrey married the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Mrs. Sampson, essentially. Oh, fuck. What's oh, her yeah. name? Lauren Holly or something? Oh, I, I think it might be Lauren Holly. No, not Holly. Lauren Holly. I thought you might be right there. Yeah. But, uh,. Your man, what do you, what do you call that? He, he always plays like Irish Americans. He's in Copland. He was Phoebe's boyfriend in Friends for a while. Uh, he's Paul like Rudd. A, no, <laughs> no, he's got like ginger hair and all. He always plays like Irish American. He's, oh fuck, uh, your man! Aye, you know, you who know he's he? on about. What else did he? He had his own shitty sitcom and all. And it was really he had a. It's the same boy. Isn't oh, it? is it Donald Luke? No, I was not Donald oh, Luke. I idiot. fucking love Donald Luke. <laughs> I love Donald Luke. No, he was in like, Donald Luke visits Ireland twice a year. He, I found that out from his Wikipedia page, so it is uh, of course true. Well, I just thought he was he Golden Boy in Copland. <laughs> you know, he was Golden Boy in Copland. He's the one that they're all trying to find in Copland. Oh shit! What's his name? Uh, has, oh fucking hell! He hasn't done anything. It's, it's Michael Sohan, I think. Is it? Oh, you have to aim to be this right now. I'm trying to remember the name of his shitty sitcom. Yeah, he, his name. he was in Justified too recently. Was he? Right yeah. But he he is a thing that's fucking really funny. His, his girlfriend broke up with him uh, before the film starts, and you know he comes and, and Tiffany Hutton's the main character in it. Michael Rappaport. Rappaport. You're uh, <laughs> such a standout second name too, and somehow we didn't get him because they're like snow. He does uh, always play like Irish American. Hamilton Donald Logue just had a fucking stranglehold on the Irish American <laughs> scene. The mid nineties cinema. They're constantly fighting for the same parts. Fucking boss showed up and I gave up. And the best thing is, I don't even think he's an Irish American. I guess it. Titus Welliver. That doesn't sound Irish American. No, it's New York. Maybe I'm confusing it from Sons of Anarchy. Although in all fairness, yeah, we don't do. We're not obviously like we don't want to go into TV too much. We're not a TV podcast, but just they still out there. It's it's a kind of a a recurring. uh, I wouldn't say cliche, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A faux pas in cinema and TV of the unbelievably poor array of Irish accents that have been committed to TV and cinema. And I I personally think that Titus Welliver's is the pick of the bunch. Titus Welliver as a IRA commander in Sons of Anarchy. It is Sean Connery won a fucking Oscar for the Untouchables playing an Irish cop. <laughs> he was Scottish, and <laughs> I, I love the fact that Sean Connery doesn't even attempt to put on an accent. Fuck. But I mean, there's that thing. <laughs> I don't it's think a, he can do an no, accent. No, he, he can. can. Apparently, Harry Kane is busy. Uh, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. Anytime they were handed scrubs, even if they were supposed to be playing like foreigners or something like that, there in films or people who weren't just kind of Scottish or British yeah. or, or whatever, they just just to say, I don't do accents. So yeah. basically, the viewer has to kind of suspend their disbelief and just yeah. believe that I'm speaking on some sort of accent or I'm an R nationality. <laughs> Even when I watched Kingsman a couple of weeks ago and Michael Caine <laughs> wasn't doing his Michael Caine voice and he was actually speaking in like a Queen's English and he was chatting kind of posh. That even took me back because I was like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. You're fucking Highlanders. You're not supposed to be Spanish or something. <laughs> Spanish? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spanish. That's right. But, um, what's but uh, I know, well, I'll just finish up with the beautiful Irish film. It, it it's a really good film. It, it's a it's an easy enough watch, but it's just it's a nice. I suppose I think the writer and director he wrote it uh, based on what come coming home himself. 
And this mm. guy thing is very, you can tell it's quite personal and uh, it's sort of like a love letter to your, your hometown and all. And it's just a nice, yeah. nice, nice watch. Like, That's nice. Really yeah, well sounds good. Too, like. Sounds right up I like that too. Small intimate films. I, I watched a small intimate film this week. Mad yeah. Max Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it's a, it's like a love letter to yeah, yeah Australia in general like that like that film it's like a sequel to Australia the film yeah, I heard it was out sleeper hit at Cannes like <laughs> sleeper ending. see I'm really jealous because me and Heron have been have been talking about this for like the past two weeks and we've been really dying to see it but we haven't got the chance yet I would love these to see it and then we I, can do a spoiler episode about it hey. which I've been talking about I love this Keep, keep my listeners on tenterhooks <laughs> for our next episode but uh, yes yeah, tell us about it I've, I've heard personally everybody's saying that it's and it's exciting to hear this sort of critical response because you very rarely hear it about a film that everybody was sort of sceptical about and like why are they even making it but it's it's seen as maybe being I haven't seen it so I can't comment the possibly the best action film in the past 20 years I've heard that it's complete and utter lunacy <laughs> it is complete and utter lunacy what, what I liked about it is just it it goes for it like I mean yeah. I was saying to Heron earlier it's like there's, a, there's about five minute but at the beginning where they kind of instigate some sort of yeah. plot. Just starts and then, and it's all, oh, I, I'm nice. <laughs> <laughs> you see him getting on a motorbike, and he just... <laughs> he just fucks off it. You'll never catch me, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Max is only in it for about five minutes. Then it's just all about Furiosa. I've heard this thing, that uh, there's there's a lot of... I, I don't know why critics will come out and criticise why there's like a kind of feminist output in any sort of film, because obviously all the other criticisms usually label that cinema is that the fact that there's no good roles for women and women aren't represented properly. But I've heard a little thing that it is kind of like... in a, in a in a way, like a feminist sort of film, because Max himself isn't really in it that much. Well, no, it's, Max is always there, but it's it's not Max's story. It's Furiosa's story. Like. Which is a, what a bizarre way to reboot a franchise, I suppose. Mm. Well, no, because like, I've, I've never seen any of the other Mad Max. He's quiet in his title for a good portion of the start, doesn't he? I, maybe about, like, for nearly an hour or so, he's, he's, he's still captured by... Immortal Joe, the baddie. <laughs> and who actually Immortal was the original baddie in the first Mad Max. Has he? Yeah. Yep. See, I, I see, I haven't seen any other Mad Max, but from what I've heard about the other ones, is it's it's never really Max's story. It's always someone else's story. And just Max, your, Max is, is there as, you're, as you, like, like you're seeing it band, through yeah. his eyes, kind of. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, it's not Max's story. It's uh, Furious's story. Uh, famously, and, Batman films were sort of guilty. People always accused that of... Uh, Batman, after you introduce him, they always say it's just Batman throwing these situations, you know, especially the old Tom Burton ones, but I don't, I don't really mind, I mean, anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, I, it's great, but what we, what you were saying about the whole feminist thing, I could, I, I could see people arguing either side of it, like, mm. like, it's, it's a big feminist thing of, because it's, it's mostly about Furiosa and her saving these women, and they're all strong women, and Furiosa's badass and kicks ass, and, what do you call, they have, they have a name for them, because it seemed like, there was an article just about the gears, and there's like four main ones, and there, there's I, a name for them. In it. I think, oh, I can't even mind. I think he just calls them his wives or something like that. The I wives or something, or something like that. But their whole thing is like the first thing one of them says in the film is, We are not property. Because mm. obviously, Immortal so Joe that, has that, them that, that, defined, yeah, that defines the fucking tone that they're, yeah. they're trying to strike yeah, so from you, the get go. So, you, that whole aspect is it's a feminist following power and women, not air. But then from the other side, like. You really just brushed over feminism and part no, of all that. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to make a. I'm trying to make a point that that you could see it from either way because then there's other bits where it's Max saving the woman. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it kind of not, then... not, not. I would say it's more it's more Empire Women than than not. But there are certain bits that I could that you could point out. Like, I don't really want to get into spoilers, but there's just there's a bit where it's essentially Max is the reason that they kind of end up winning at the end. Yeah. You know so then I mean? you think it does fall into the sort of narrative cliches of like the damsel in distress. It, re- and, it and, really and doesn't like, though. I'm, I'm I'm really getting panicked. They try and see it from the other side. Yeah. But no, I, but it's just it's just an interesting way to look at it because I'm not going to lady. When obviously I heard about Mad Max coming out, then I heard it's complete lunacy and it's this fucking balls out of the bath crazy fucking action film. <laughs> that. Uh, Balls of that bath. Balls of that. But I mean, when I heard all this, you know, it, it is just kind of fucking chaos on screen for like two hours or, you know, two and so hours. The last thing that I thought that I would have heard about it is like it's kind of like a amusing on feminism. So I found that it made me want to see it even more then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, it had this fucking like apparent depth that I'd never even sort of considered or, or, or would have even thought it would have been tied under the narrative. I can sum up Mad Max in a short sentence of. It's Tom Hardy doing a weird accent in a car for an entire film. Is it an Aussie accent? It's essentially locked too. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has a really weird accent, and it's like it, it's it's not particularly Australian. It's just really deep and kind of inaudible. I think it's like it's like more grunts than anything. You know what I mean? Is a, a, a thing with uh, the original Mad Max's was it, it was very kind of a. Uh, it made a point of embracing Australia and Australian and Australian culture. Does is that kind of for a modern audience because it is a sort of Hollywood blockbuster? Is that sort of forgotten or do they kind of focus on that? No, it's like the whole the whole thing is just in a desert essentially. Yeah, so it, it, and it was shot in Africa though. Yeah, well, fuck the yeah, yeah. <laughs> which kind of flies in the face of everything. It was about Mad Max and it, you know it was kind of because I mean obviously when Mad Max released, not to go on there because I know we have to move on to the next topic. When Mad Max released, it was a huge thing because it was the first time an Australian cinema had ever really came under uh, the fucking mainstream yeah. and was a blob and obviously made a star of Mel Gibson, and and and, and it was this fucking kind of it was a pop culture uh, sort of phenomenon. Curious so if he he is. No, he's part Australian, and he loved most of his like before, up until that point. I think he had loved. He's born in America, but he lived in Australia for like fifteen years. Yeah, but his accent was an American accent. Who? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. I thought he was just full on Australian. No, no. See, this is a common misconception. Yeah. Everybody thinks that Mel Gibson's Australian, like as this sort of fucking pub quiz trivia. But he's actually American. But I think I'm not quite sure about his background. But I think that he was brought up in Australia for some yeah, time. He Hence, why he got attached to Mad Max. But even for some, I don't know whatever happened. I was flicking through YouTube or whatever, and uh, I've seen a thing. Uh, it was a Saturday Night Live thing, and he was on it, and uh, he had an Australian accent. You know, when he was when he was on it, it must have been really early. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I used to think he might have been putting that on for Mad Max. They put the Australian accent on, but actually, you know, it must have been really early in his career. He still had sort of half and half, yeah, uh, Australian accent and American accent. And then he became an ultra religious psychopath. But anyway, on to the next topic. Can't wait. Then another good Mel Gibson film comes out, though. You can say what you want about the man, but the fucking no. Man. I mean, but I think that's what's yeah. most disappointing. It's obviously not the only like personal <laughs> things about him and stuff like that, but. Everybody knows the stories and what's happened in the past few years, and it's just really, really disappointing because the man was a fucking, yeah, just a king of charisma. He was one of the most exciting actors of, mm. of his time, and it's just kind of sad that it peeled out. Although he, he does have a very uh, commendable uh, director career, which seems to have kind of dried up too, but I think mm. that he's now seen as kind of box office poison, he's be a director he's, or he's actor. He's probably just he's keeping it quiet for a minute, and then he'll probably come back with something. He was actually. He was, he was on Expendables 3. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's a glorified cameo, essentially, isn't it? No, I think he's. 
Yeah. 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 I think oh, but I mean like oh, that right was a bad in a second one as well. So I, don't know. I think for a while he kind of burnt all the bridges. But anyway, we won't ba- go on. Bar- Barney Hulk Hogan's and talks for Expendables Four. Oh yes, as a baddie, just had leg drops on fucking Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff like that. Hulkamania run away. He must be take over the world. Hulkamania. You do something to make him just unrecognizable. Though, like. Because it's just a tall Hogan, you know, yeah. roll the camera, tall Hogan, you know. But, uh, but uh, certainly that's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking. I mean, the Expendables, yeah. the Expendables, where it's hurting his sleeve and, and and kind of buzzes off the fact that Liz so cheesy and it's a throwback. They fucking like eighties over the top action film. So having Hulk Hogan on there, who was an icon of eighties, who is now seen as the biggest joke, yeah. you know, what I mean, because he's so dated. Next one's gonna be back up to a proper rating as well. Not gonna be a fucking half-assed. Yeah, he's the one who's gonna do it. Do it right. News. Okay, news. <laughs> Quick, do a news jingle. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's copyright. <laughs> I should have had me prepare one. Hey, I thought of something. You could have brought no, the keyboard I, on there, right? I like, I like surprising. <laughs> Let's talk more news. Okay. Peter Sarsgaard has joined uh, Magnificent Seven, and Jason Momoa has left. See. Uh, I like Jason Momoa, obviously, big Game of Thrones fan, and you know I was really interested in seeing him in that film. But, and I've said this for years, Peter Sarsgaard I think is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood, and it's kind of made me upset because not upset. I don't, he's, I don't he's sit up and like. Stallone's son, he was in True Blood, no, is that him? No, he's no. A, 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 a lot of people make that Sarsgaard. A lot of people make that that uh, misconception. Sarsgaard. He's married to uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, but anyway, talking about his career... He's in Garden State. Yeah, the first film that i seen... Oh, fuck, he's class. He's unbelievable. Uh, he's in Jarhead. And all three, yeah, right? the first film i ever seen of Peter uh, Peter Sarsgaard was... He's uh, a bad, isn't he? He always sort of plays Valanus types, yeah. He's going to be cast about, eh? I think it's what he's been cast as in mm-hmm. like Instant 7. Uh, first film i seen of his was Boys Don't Cry. Uh, which was Hilary oh, yeah. Swank's first Oscar. Who did he play in Boys Don't Cry? Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> he was the, uh, the, the, the villain, basically, who fucking rapes Hilary Swank's character and exposes Fuck her exposes her for being right. a man. Yeah. And I think I watched Boys Don't Cry at a very young... Being a woman. Yeah? Being a woman. Being a woman, sorry. <laughs> being a woman. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Slop the tongue. But I remember, like, being... I was, I was pretty young when I was watching that film. I bet Elvis was in Boys Don't Cry. Shit, I told her, Boys Don't Cry. They do that. <laughs> 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 I remember watching that, watching him in that film, and I think because I watched him when I was kind of young, maybe it was about like 14, 15 or something, it was the first time I'd seen this really kind of fucking intense scene, and obviously, like, rip, nothing going on. It's never, it's never nice to watch, and it's always going to be a sickening sort of scene, and it's it's so gritty and realistic, and it actually kind of made me sick, and he plays it so convincingly that you're not disgusted by him, and obviously, he fucking despised the man at the time, but then... For, I don't know that was him, but that scene's always been scary. Yeah, I think it's an Akira in some sort of fucking desolate place, yeah. but... Going back to then, obviously we are more we are more informed opinion of just actually looking at it from an artistic uh, level and and looking at him as an actor and his performance. He was fucking, he was excellent in that. He's excellent in Gardenstead, and I, I remember years ago people were saying he was going to be the next big thing. You know, he was going to be this 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 new big actor and an education as well. An education, of course. Enough, but it seems like the, not that the roles dried up, but he just started to be a wee bit more choosy, and he didn't he didn't get that one role, you know, that one role they all talk about. They just kind of they kind of I well I'm not sure. Right? Jesus Christ, the, I'm no guru. No, I, I mean, if I talk, I mean, I, I'm probably the least person interested in the whole world in this magnificent seven remake. But if I talk for was doing it. 
you know that that makes me interested. Yeah, yeah. it's a hell of a cast. Isn't it? That's a crazy it's a hundred cast. Like, but you know, like we said last week, training the reunion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if it's your man, and if he, I think for some reason like I read someone this week, he might be cast as a baddie. Uh, you know, they they might let him do something fucking mad, right? Hopefully, and hopefully he. Uh, we were saying there now, Peter Stars got his due a massive role. He was kind of given a, a big-ish role as the villain in the Green Lantern. Do you remember the Green Lantern and how yeah. bad that was? And I think, I can't remember what yeah, happens, no, but he turns on the supervillain, but his head swells up really big, and he essentially just looks like a human ball bag. So hopefully <laughs> so hopefully that is not his one big shot yeah. at, at, at being a superstar. He was on... Was he in Hitman? No. I don't know. I've never no, seen no. Hitman, all day enough. I think I flicked over. There's one I marked um, I couldn't reach the control list. <laughs> I just like pause for a second and address the listener. If you don't like this noise, just just let us know. Yeah, <laughs> please let us know because essentially what it is is we're all sitting like having a couple of drinks, trying to loosen ourselves up. It's just ice in our glass, but we've lost back to it a couple of times, and we've realised, and I'm addressing you directly, listener. It does come off as a bit irritating. So if you still like it, get back to this, and we'll well we'll not stop drinking, but we'll just not have ice in our drinks. But we are in a hot box, so yeah, we, <laughs> we kind of need it. Um, okay. Next, Kerry Fukunaga has left the It remake. Yes, I know. I budget disputes. Yeah, I seen this last night, and it's all the very f- upset. It is very upset. Kerry Fukunaga is who done the fir- the whole first series True Detective. Ah, we, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the week that you were here, but we talked about the remake of It a few weeks back. No, I, it was last week. It was, oh, sorry, it was last week, and I, st- I, I stressed. Uh, how much that like up was the oh, first? Was it last week? Um, I think it might <laughs> maybe even three weeks ago, but I, I stressed. Oh, it was definitely three weeks ago. I think, I think. But uh, I stressed how much that it was the first film ever to truly, truly fucking horrify me. And I've always thought it's kind of been ripe for a remake in the modern day because you can get away. I think with so much more now, and you can put up a bit of a modern touch because it hasn't really aged that well. And then when I heard about Kerry Fukunaga, and especially after I seen True Detective and how much of a, an accomplished director he is doing a whole HBO series on his own and making it look unbelievable right. I was actually kind of excited and I liked the left field casting of Will Poulter as uh, Pennywise yeah. and then to hear that he's pulled out now not that it, it, it takes me uh, it takes the appeal of the film for me but it, it does kind of it lessens it well, you need to see who they get, but it's upsetting that he's he's left because I but, was excited about to see, see what he would do. I right think on. the main appeal to me was seeing his first proper feature, yeah. especially in the horror genre, because obviously the first series of True Detective has this underlying thing of a kind of realist it's horror. Like so so I kind of want this, yeah, I kind of want to see him sink his teeth on the proper horror, especially with a character who is as naturally fucking terrifying as Pennywise. Mm. Um. Oh shit, I meant to get these up, but I haven't, so... Oh, Mickey. Some so, f- first images of Ridley Scott's The Martian. Have you seen them? No, I haven't, actually. Do you I have them there? Like, uh, they photoshopped Matt Damon in the same suit from Interstellar. Yeah. I know, because I seen it, and I just thought, oh, fuck, Matt Damon's going to try and kill Matt Gunnay again. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point I my realised I was kind of going, oh, I don't really care. I know, I... I just thought that whole bit of Interstellar just it came out of nowhere and it was just bullshit. I was like, oh, that's my Damon. <laughs> I know, it's like, oh, fuck, my Damon's on it. Yeah. It's like, no, but his, his whole kind of reasoning for wanting to like, kill them all just didn't make sense. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he, he lied about all his results, so he, was trying he to has s- to kill them. Because, uh, no, I think he, he, the motive was that he knew it was going to be either one of two, uh, what he called, places to go. Yeah. And he thought if he doctored his results... 
Because he knew, if he, I, didn't, if he I, didn't doctor him, he was going to die. I, he doctored them so, so they would come and pick him up. No, well, so, so he could steal their ship, you know, because they, they thought he knew. Aye, but they were there then. He can just tell them, oh, I lied. Go and pick yeah. my home. You know what I mean? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't need to kill them, like. But yeah, it's it, yeah, that's all I, I suppose that I went for a fucking not dead hand in about two seconds. Hey, that's what yeah. it made no sense. <laughs> right, no. What, did, what did you think? What? Uh, Matt Damon and Interstellar. That whole, that whole scene, that whole moment through that whole thing. That the whole scene in Interstellar? Uh, uh, no, my point of view was that he didn't need to try and kill him. He could have just said, oh, gone get off to him. Yes, yeah, I thought that was <laughs> it, 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 came seemed, out of it seemed like they were trying to generate drama or nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just was stupid. Yeah, it did. But then we all know that Mickey's opinions on Interstellar, yeah, doesn't think it's that great a film, even though yeah. me and Don argued. Yeah. They go, it's equal now to each. Oh, no, I'm actually outnumbered now, Don's not here. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, I can't find these photos. It just, you know what Matt Damon looked like in Interstellar. Aye, it was like a slitty, you know, a bit of orange. Aye, a bit of orange, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a shot from Interstellar, I think it's Could have been, I do. Yeah, fuck it. Next news. Next news. That's the section after the news. I should do it all the time just to kind of keep the flow of next news. If, <laughs> if I can time when you, I can see you flicking through the, the phone. <laughs> so maybe I should do that every time. But anyway, continue, baby. No, don't. That'd be incredibly irritating. <laughs> uh, Black Mass trailer. Yeah. Johnny Depp's back. It looks so mark. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Johnny I, back. Yeah. That's been said a couple of times over the past few years, and uh, I think we've uh, yeah. people have kind of shot themselves in the foot. In fairness, uh, with the strength of the director, I think it's looking yeah. really good. Uh, it looks really good. I've said about Jai for years. I think that he is maybe one of the, the top three most gifted actors of his generation. He was always excellent, always picking diverse roles. Then I think maybe the past six, seven years with the whole Tom Burton connection, he's just kept kind of went. He's got a bit lazy. I think he's one of his way to pick roles that are kind of in your face quirky, like they're yeah. kind of uh, so far over the top that he can't really be judged as a proper actor because it's very easy to go... Uh, not very easy, but they're they're almost like fairy tale or comic book characters. When Johnny Depp has had so many cracking roles, playing it straight and playing it, you know, dramatic. And I personally think that he hasn't done a proper dramatic role since Donnie Brasco, and that was 97. Well, that's public, nearly public enemies in Rumderry. Yeah, actually, well, see, even Rumderry, he's, he's basically a bastardization of Hunter S. Thompson. Public enemies, I, when he's playing Dillinger, uh, that's fair enough. I just, I thought that uh, public enemies was a massive, it's one of my biggest disappointments, because it was Michael Mann, huge Michael Mann, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that he kind of, in public enemies, Michael Mann can assume that the viewer knew way more about Dullinger and way more about that time period and what they did. And he left it, uh, I think he left it too vague. Uh, yeah. A lot of people who came out of that uh, film, I was kind of interested in the Great Depression and stuff. So it's and good I, for a rewatch though. Yeah, no, I would, I would say so. I mean, like stylistically uh, and, and for technique, Michael Mann is always going to be great for a watch. I just knew, I knew about the spud thing from QI. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they, they, they don't even. Or is it wood? It, it, I thought. I well, I the thought. The the gun they used to get I, in prison. Mm-hmm. I thought some it people say it was, it was it was wood. Some people say it was soap. Some people say it was spud. Nobody. Uh, it's, it's an urban legend, basically. But Woody Allen did it with soap. But then when he went outside, it foamed up because it was raining. <laughs> 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 it's in one of his films like, anyway. Well, then he could wash his hands of crime. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Johnny Depp. Uh, it's great. To, I mean, it sounds like a, a really basic thing, but it's just nice to see him take on a straight dramatic role. Mm. But with Wiley Bulger, who is such a fucking intriguing character, obviously the uh, the trailer goes to great lengths to uh, stress the fact that he was probably the most wanted man in the FBI in American history. 
it is a role for him to properly sink his teeth on the. Right. And from the trailer, it seems like he's doing it and not just kind of phoning in this over the top, over the top sort of camp. Almost kind of, I've heard this a lot aimed at Giant Up, like pantomime performance, which he's been kind of doing for a good few years, like he had Under the Woods. And like, Pirates of the Caribbean was good in the first one, and then that he just got sold so quick because the main mistake with Pirates of the Caribbean is that they didn't realise the success of the first one was based on the fact that Captain Jack Sparrow was a kind of background character and the main focus was them and he was more effective but then they made him uh, the main focus I and he got very old uh, very quick you know I what I mean it was because it was him and Jeffrey Rush were probably the only two good things in the first one mm-hmm. they literally came in carrying that film on their shoulders because Orlando I enjoyed Flynn. the first but one but I see I think I the first, I, I, I I think the first one's excellent and then the other three and they're Bloom making a fuff already you know, they're making a fuff they're making an but yes. Orlando Bloom definitely couldn't have carried that the, 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 the no. character he's playing was weak and fucking whatever I mean, it was it was Johnny Depp that fucking stole that film and even at that I mean I don't think Orlando Bloom, Orlando Bloom gets a lot of stick and I, 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 he gets a lot of sort of grief about not being the most accomplished actors. I do think he's, he's a half decent actor. But I, I mean, like he, in Kingdom of Heaven, actually. Yeah. He, even the an director's ex- cut, not that fucking shit one. Really. <laughs> they rolled out. Even an unbelievable. So everybody says about Kingdom of Heaven. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, that, that watch the director's cut. <laughs> what is O'Reilly Scott in director's cuts? It's like fucking it's Blade Runner as well. It's because the Kingdom of Heaven, right? It was meant to be this whole fucking chronicle of the basis of modern day religion, mm-hmm. and it was a historical fucking drama, quite accurate in parts in this game too. And then because of the success of Troy, even though Troy was alright, uh, they wanted it down to about fucking, I think it was like two hours maybe, yeah. or maybe a wee just over like or something like that there. And so they cut, I think it has original cuts like three hours and 20 minutes or I was, I was just about to say, I think it has around three, a three and a half hour mark. Yeah. They cut out all these fucking stupid things like, like, uh, and and the director's cut, you know, in the first scene that Liam Neeson's is there, whereas in the other one they just leave it out. So it's just it's just a mystery if he's just there or not for no apparent reason throughout the whole film. Throw a bit of mystery in there. I'm like, what? There's no narrative purpose there whatsoever. Absolute bollocks. I'm sure the people in the audience weren't sitting thinking, "Is Liam Neeson has no?" But to the point that the film, I went to a mystery film, but it was so pure on the bum's It was so fucking hard to follow the first one because it was just these like dramatic jumps that I just went. He doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. Mm. That's what yeah. I thought. And then I just heard about this director's call. Watch the director's call is actually a really good film. Yeah. If yeah. you just want like a long sit down Saturday at about half seven or eight, just it's a big once more time in America. Watch, just sit down and watch. It's brilliant. They sign off just before we go on the next point on Johnny Depp, which we originally started out on. I think that it possibly could be the rebirth of Johnny Depp, and hopefully he starts or taking his on. last part. Because yeah. he was talking about retiring there recently. I well, hope he's he's doing Pirates of Caribbean five now, so they're not running into it. I hope basically that uh, I hope that Liz is, is rebirth. He kind of comes out of the rut. I'm sure the giant Depp doesn't care because he's made fucking hundreds of millions yeah. off the Lone Ranger and all these franchises over the past year. The Tim Burton, not the Lone Ranger. That's how I say not the Lone Ranger. Like the Tim Burton. You the worst film. I know the worst film. I think it's the, I think it's the one because it was most fucking maligned. You know what I mean? Per Army Hammer, that could have been as big fucking saving grace. I haven't actually seen it. I've heard it's alright though. Yeah, I, I think it's it's, it's, it's just standard. Yeah. Oh, you seen it with your dad? Uh, and as well, we're, we were talking about that. Obviously, the hands on scope just threw him. Like, no, I, he was just seething. Um, but but uh, yeah, what, one more thing just about Giant Depp is that uh, hopefully it has his rebirth. Hopefully, he can kind of come back in and start doing straight roles because I think he's got he has so right. so much to offer. Let back up a wee bit as well. What one thing I was going to say, just one minute, is that from the trailer though, 
the way the trailer presents it, I don't think it's presenting as a fully serious drama, and I think it's kind of quirky and stuff again. I'm not really liking that tone. I think that Whitey Bulger was such a sadistic bad Have piece of shit that it should be. I've seen trailer one too, but I think it should be a straight drama, and it shouldn't be kind of presenting Whitey Bulger I, as this kind of like Robin Hood of fucking you know what I mean like oh, this I neighborhood. Doing that. No, but I mean, there's these jokes like, "Oh, you're back from Alcatraz," and and they kind of they glorify Whitey Bulger. Like there's that shot in the trailer where he's walking yeah. through the car park with a shotgun. But that's, honestly, I think I think that's just uh, trailer. I hope so. See, yeah, exactly. I hope. I hope that obviously there's that thing on TV shows. Trailers always lie, so they're trying to accentuate the kind of more action-based sequences of a film. I hope that is the case. uh, If you've seen, if you've seen Crazy Heart, or if you've seen, uh, I love Crazy Heart. Under the Furnace. We were chatting about earlier, but uh, Under the Furnace is a a very quiet film set in North America, and the cast unreal. It has Christian Bale, Casey Affleck, Woody Harrelson, Willem Dafoe, Forrest Whitaker. The one, the one thing structurally, I think, is brilliant about it. It's it's very (laughs) quiet and it doesn't send. There's a lot of fucking serious violence in it. There's a lot of tragedy in that film, but it doesn't send be sentimental with it at all. It it doesn't uh, overplay it. It just moves right on, and so that it just gives you this real thing of fuck me. This is this boy's life. And you really feel it through there with him, and he's just sitting there, and it, it just moves in that way. And yeah. like, hopefully, if that's the way he's going with the, the way he bulls you on, I think that's, that's going to be cool. Like. Last point I watched uh, Crazy Heart at 3 a.m. on Christmas morning, wailing a bag of Doritos on the main <laughs> cheese on crackers. <laughs> Best Christmas ever. Continue. Uh, okay, uh, Point Break remake trailer. Yeah. What do we think? I actually enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm undecided. I mean, it's one of those ones that I think Point Break. Just kind of. should have called it someone else. Yeah, I know. It could have been just a standalone film. This is this is my problem. It is that you know, Point Break. No, is, it's there's the two names and the fact that it's somewhere. You know, it's he's a cop going after him. But like you could say that about the first Fast and Furious. I was going to say that. I say is yeah, it's essentially yeah. a Point Break remake, but with cars. Yeah, yeah. But the the way it actually looks and all in the trailer, it's 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 a lot different. All and I actually kind of look like the look of it. But then the things that I find wrong with is. The fact that it's a Point Break remake and yeah. they have Utah and Brody and those actors are not Utah and Brody. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, especially Brody because he's supposed to be really charismatic and he's supposed to just want to engage with him straight away. And you want to? Well, I mean, you, you can't get that from from a trailer, like really. I mean, your I man. Think, but I, even I, when I, he, even I, when he I came disagree. up, I just I, didn't I, like him. I disagree. I think maybe it's because Patrick Swayze's performance was so iconic uh, that anybody who's presented he, he isn't going to be isn't going to be really. I think maybe they've went the other way, yeah. which is maybe about a misstep, and, and maybe trying to present them a wee bit differently. But even watching that trailer, I was like, I'm not even trying to compare him to Patrick Swayze in my mind, but I just thought it doesn't have that energy. Like you said, that's hard to tell from a trailer. It's only yeah. like two, two and a half minutes. See, Bodie's explained in one shot, like the first time you see him, yeah. and it's just it, it's just a fucking glory moment. It's when uh, Keanu Reeves is walking down the the beach or whatever, and then I forget Gary's name. She's in Free Willy and stuff, you know, and she's the girl in it. Yeah. And she says, "Ah, oh, it's over there. It's Bodie or whatever." And it's this sort of slightly slow motion shot with him on the surfboard. And he sort of jumps off a wave and it's like, "What?" This boy's gonna be a badass. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And uh, and it's that there, and it just that, that shot, and it, it does it. But then it, it's throughout the whole thing because he he constantly explains his philosophy. Yeah. You know, at the campfire when he says, "Not try to do something you love and all." And this kind of thing, and it's just but like, uh, he's all, oh, you just shot an FBI agent. He's all, oh, I know, in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just sees me things, uh, he does not give but, a fuck. Like. But it's, but he, he should, 
even just looking at him though, it should he should you should want to engage with him. He should have this certain magnetism right. of him that you want to kind of be. I, I, your, I, your man's a massive point break man. The boy's playing Bodo by the way. Right, yeah, then. but I, I don't think I guess I'm right to play Bodo. Really. <laughs> I know. No, but it was funny because I, I watched another movie recently, and he was saying because he worked on uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which is Captain Brigo film, yeah. and he says he always used to chat to Captain Brigo with Point Break. It's not about Point Break, but I'll say chat and then uh, he says always, well, I, if we were doing a rewind, I would love to fucking play Bodo. And then, uh, and then he said he got a phone call. They asked to play Bodie, and he rang Catherine Brickle to see if it would be okay. Oh, <laughs> Can you punch that as well? Like this fucking, like, Zero Dark Thirty set, this deep dark scene about, like, the fucking, you know, like, the killing of Sam Bin Laden, and you know, about, like, kind of modern history and stuff we got there. Right. Everybody's really focused, and he's in the scene. And then after the scene, everybody's really right. tense. He goes, I so want to be Brody, I don't want to be But it's, uh, it's, it's even if we started up our vision, we can't bring him and just start just throwing body lines on me. <laughs> don't get in a cage, man! <laughs> <laughs> Another thing, going back to the trailer, was... Like, I actually do think it looked alright. It looks like a Fast and Furious trailer. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the the odd thing about it, though, is that they seem to make extreme sports and they like a superpower. Yeah. It's like, because the Utah says, like, they do what I can do. Extreme sports. There's no like I was like, he was saying right. Like a lot of people could do it. Like, yeah. you know like fucking like, like they're, they're outsmarting the fucking FBI yeah. or whatever because they do extreme sports. He found out then the whole Tony Hawk's a super yeah. like uh, No, I think it's. I mean, it's I, just I, the way it was presented. But that's the thing. Even though in the first one, Angelo Pappas has like like Gary Busey's character. The reason he figured out that they were surfers. I love that you can you can tell that. Heron's watched the point break about fucking <laughs> puppy right. things. He's nice got every character's like name, everything uh, down. Yeah. And uh, he was just... <laughs> it's, uh, he's sitting there with uh, Johnny Utah and all, and uh, he's just all, uh, he's all, the ex-presidents are surfers. He pulls out this wee thing, he pulls out this wee tub called Sex Wax. Not there at all. And then he just says, all, he, he starts explaining to him about the tan lines and about hair and all this kind of stuff and all. And it's just this fucking brilliant moment. See, you see even that line alone, picture being any actor of any sort of repute whatsoever <laughs> and being handed a script and seeing that one of your lines was the ex-presidents are surfers. <laughs> <laughs> like, only Gary Busey. That's a thing because I quoted Gary Busey last time speaking to the microphone squad brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's constantly going back to fucking point break. It's a recurring thing. All see, that's, that's another problem with the trailer or Point Break remake in general. It doesn't have Gary Busey. No Busey. I uh, know. The characters he's... there, guess who's playing the Gary Busey character? Hey. Ray Winston. See, you know what? I, oh, I, 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 see, I don't know. I, I love Ray Winston. He's a butterfish, we play. See, I mean, like, I love Ray Winston. He's a fucking up with American accents. Ah, it just it doesn't work. Like, no, there's a part of the trailer where it's voiced over by Ray Wilson to an American accent. Uh, it's like no. fucking bogging. Hey, we'll pull this way. <laughs> Brandon Gleason as well. Yeah, like like we were talking earlier oh, on. Like, like safe we're, House bogging. Yeah, it's yeah. so bad. It's the only... Safe House, which I thought was a ugh film, is the only film I've ever seen him attempt an American accent and it just threw me because I'm, ex- I'm just expecting them to be... Big big mad Brenton fucking down the yeah, barrel. Yeah, there's all saying on it's Brenton. Ah, it's Brenton. Fuck up. But like <laughs> like we're saying in round is that uh, actors who are so renowned for their voices and it's kind of almost a part of their character in any film that they play. Like we're saying in round, we're saying Michael Caine and we're saying Sean Connery. I think Ray wants them because it's become such a <laughs> massive part. They're the story around themselves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But beca- exactly. But, yeah, but because it's become such a massive part of him. 
just stop doing accents because I remember that uh, that that part of that accent is fucking bogging. <laughs> it's so fucking bad. And like she, yeah, it, it, it takes you out of the fucking character. You know uh, what I mean? It, it's just it's it's per. But um, the only thing I was going to say about Point Break was that I was kind of surprised at the fact that the two actors that they chose Point Break, really oh, really yeah. renowned franchise, the two actors for the lead they've chose are kind of unknown. And I thought yeah. that that was I thought that that was a big thing. Uh, I think I, I like the kind of choice actors they choose. I, uh, obviously, in, in the original Johnny Utah, he, he's reserved, but he really wants to take down the fucking ex presidents. In this film, I'm not going to lie, I have a fucking clue who Johnny Utah is. I don't have a clue who the fucking actor is who's playing him in this film. I've never seen him in anything before. So I think in a way that is actually maybe a good choice that they made because there's no expectancy. I think because those characters are so iconic, attaching that character to a, a big actor who you've got all this stuff in your head about already would be wrong because you're attaching this. Doing it as a clean slate and, and making the role kind of new again to this actor who you're not quite sure this, about. This is Maybe why, then this is they, like they, can, they can reinterpret it. It, it yeah. feels fresh, right? It feels like, you know, there was a couple of times, I, I rewatched it a few times just because there was a couple of action bits that I would just want to see. Just because at the minute, I think it's very hard to find somebody that does action well, like practical effects. And like one of the last ones I thought was brilliant was Jack Reacher, yeah. Christopher McQuarrie. Like the way he does action is fucking brilliant. See Mad Max. <laughs> well, no, I'm, yeah, but I'm saying like real action in the real world and that kind of stuff just to see how they do it. And this here looks like there's a lot of it. And there's a couple of shots in it that just felt really 90s, some of it. Like there's parts of it feeling Roman nearly. I think me and you were and talking about like the Saint because the, the color tone looks like the Saint that we put in parts. I, I, was, I, I think the you, color tone, everything was just it's blue. Hi, blue yeah. and green. You know? I think me and you were talking. I think it's a, the original Point Break is like the kind of sun caked, kind of hyper realistic beaches of fucking California and stuff. Yeah. I like that it was. I even said the last night when we first watched the trailer. I like the fact that it was a bit more stripped down. I also mm. like the fact that like the original Point Break. It wasn't CJ. It was just natural, I actual effects, mm. and I give it this real sort of feeling that, and we've said it every fucking week. But when yeah. you're watching CJ, it could be the best CJ in the world, but you're always aware yeah. that it is an effect. Yeah. Your, your man playing Bodie says the one thing that they're taking from uh, the Point Break is he says it's this free spirit thing, and it's they're sort of becoming more like Robin Hood sort of characters. I mean, they still have their money and all that there to do this, but they're sort of like anarchists, but they're actually they're making it on a, on a global level. And that, that's what the main difference yeah. is. And that's, yeah. that's where the film differs a lot from the first one. Can we all yeah, go yeah. downstairs at this and watch Point Break? Because I've watched it in about four years. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, there's been stacks of Suicide Squad set leaks. Which, <laughs> just, which just shows they have the worst character in the world. <laughs> it seems like they don't even care anymore. Yeah, that's see, part of the machine. No, they're like, they know it. I mean, like, I see. I, I I don't even think Batman's going to be on it. I think this is just all publicity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's. I think it's very easy to be uh, cynical in the modern age because obviously, these... obviously, sorry, we should explain. The Batmobile and Batman has been seen chasing the Joker down the streets. Yeah, and shooting them. Suicide squad. And old enough, uh, a source close to us. When I say a source close to us, it's a friend who lives in Canada in Toronto. Call it a source. It sounds more professional. Yeah, it does sound more professional. <laughs> Hence why I use source originally. But uh, a source, aka friend who uh, lives in Toronto, that's close to us, literally works on the street that they're currently shooting Suicide Squad, and he has been posting videos of the Batmobile going up a street. So. Obviously, if he's posting, and we obviously trust him because he's our friend, unless he's fucking, you know what I mean, on the, on the payroll, <laughs> we're not quite sure, then, then Batman is obviously going to make some sort of appearance. He's also, our source has taken photos of, uh, like, Jared Leto on the set. From the photos I've seen that he's taken, Jared Leto 
seems like they're going back to the really comic booky look. I remember weeks ago they'll be chilling, but I didn't like the look they were going for. I like the fact that they were taking it at a different angle because obviously after he fledger, you had the gritty thing and they had to go a completely different way, mm -hmm. which is fucking yet totally acceptable. I'm, I'm down with that. But uh, he does have the tattoos though. Yeah, yeah, he does have the tattoos. Mm. I know which, which we, which we fucking done the damn with. He's like Lamborghini as well, isn't he? Uh, a big purple Lamborghini. See, I mean, that I, looks boring. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, we we discussed this at length a few weeks back, but I think that I know that obviously Heath Ledger is so iconic as a Joker, and it's it's crazy that he's so iconic as a Joker now that people have actually nearly forgot about Jack Nicholson as a Joker, mm. who was fucking unbelievably good. Mm. But it's it's sort of weird that the he is they're now trying to go in such a different way with the Joker that I think that they're actually trying to outdo themselves. It's like right, we can't go dark and gritty. We'll go kinda over the top comic booky. And it's like because they're going over I don't mind them going back to comic books, you know, for you know like source material and stuff like that. But I think I think they're going to Joel Schumacher route. I yeah, I think they're going down the Joel Schumacher route where they're gonna fucking maybe make a fucking, you know, a a what is it Batman fucking What's the George Clooney Batman again? Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. But um, what's what's worrying is the only thing I'm going to say is that the tone from what I'm seeing from press shoots and then actual footage that's being shown this and then uh, hearing what I'm hearing from the set is that you saw the press shoot of all the Suicide Squad together and it's kind of present them in a sort of gritty light and the Suicide Squad story in general is quite gritty but then seeing this Joker that they're presenting it's a whole other fucking sort of world it's this mm. comic booky world and I don't know how they're going to marry the two well you see I don't I think I, it's cool the way they're doing it they're not just going for the what everybody expects no I, 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 I like no that's what I'm saying 100% I, I do like that not only are they going a different way but they seem to be taking two different sources like the modern gritty comic book film and then you know just basic comic books in general and like that sort of over the top countless but, but I don't know how they're going to Maybe they will make an absolute masterpiece and mix them together. Is, is Leto in Batman and Superman form? No. No. Definitely not? No. Uh, well, they haven't said anything about it, anyway. Yeah. But, uh, to your knowledge, I, Super. I, I don't think the Joker's actually going to be in the Suicide Squad that much. I think it, it's going to be this one sequence, maybe, of like Batman capturing him and and putting him in the, uh, where the Suicide Squad are. Because obviously they're all in first. Batman's yeah. Batman Superman's out first. Yeah. Yeah. I think, personally, from what I've been hearing, I'm about Jarlow's appearance and about even Ben Affleck's appearance, I think it's rather going to... I don't think it'll be the end of the film because that would then sort of nullify the whole impact of the Suicide Squad story. I think... And I this think it's start. Yeah, no, obviously, don't don't hold me to this or nothing like that. But personally, I think that it might be a slinger. I think it might be a slinger. Oh, really? all that. Yeah, I, I think that's... Batman with the Joker possibly chasing him because obviously we've seen the footage of the Batmobile and him on the set around the Batmobile. I think it might be Batman a slinger. Batman was on the Joker's car as well. Yeah, I think it might be a slinger for the next uh, film, the franchise. Hmm. That's interesting. But well, the next film after that, what is it? It's Justice League. That's yeah, going to be I mean, let's face it, Ben Affleck, ben Affleck hasn't been announced that he's necessarily in it. Well, no, he's there, but it's not been announced as you know. He's not one of the the headliner casters at all. No. The reason the reason I think it's a stinger, personally, is that Batman. Maybe you know, obviously, people argue until the day is done that Superman's a bigger character. For me, personally, Batman's the biggest comic book character in the world. The, the, the Joker is the biggest comic book villain in the world. You couldn't put the Batman and the Joker in a film for like two or three minutes as a cameo. 
and then take them away from it completely. Espe- yeah, exactly. Especially, especially if you're trying to introduce all these new characters of the Suicide Squad, I think it'll be completely divert people's attention and people want to focus on them especially because it's the new actors and their roles being sort of introduced in a way well Jared Leto anyway so I do think that it will be a stinger I think it's if not a stinger then it's around the end of the film as a tie on they can obviously whip people's lips for the next one that's interesting you know what I mean Uh, okay we'll need the one Uh, Fox are trying to reboot the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen oh fuck (laughs) The film that killed Sean Connery's career. I think I think that film is one of the only films my dad turned around to me because my dad watched most things. There was a good enough action, and he liked Sean Connery. It's one of the only films he turned around and goes, "That's one of those piece of shit." I love it. There's this recurring theme now of like Heron's dad's opinions on films. Yeah. Like we were talking about Sorcerer a couple of weeks ago when it came to that bridge scene, and you and your dad were sat on the edge of your seat, and you and your dad looked at each other, and your dad went. Some film here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, why do you think of a reboot of it? Obviously, the first one was terrible. I think that they've, they've a lot they uh, pull on now from the Avengers, and they, by the time it comes around, they'll have a lot they learn from the Suicide Squad yeah. and even X-Men. They've a lot learned from that kind of thing. I think there's a name of a director that they use when somebody uh, feels like they haven't got to make the thing that they wanted Alan to make. Smitty. Is it? Alan Smithy, yeah. Because he put his name on, on, on that. Whoever the yeah. fuck was originally there. Yeah. I don't know. Also, I, I, it's, it's awful they say, and, uh, but because he... Your, your mind just says he had no control. Anyway. But can I go something? No, no, no. Uh, continue yeah. on your point. I was just going to say that the director of American History X also uh, put his uh, directorial credit as Alan Smithy. Did he? he? Yeah, because even though uh, they, most people say he's American History X, and I think that's the most standout one, because usually films that have been... Uh, Alan Smitted. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pre- uh, no, but that precisely. was Edward Norton's one because it was. Yeah. You get an Edward Norton film, which usually his production team comes in. Precisely. And, uh, usually films that have been. Usually films that have been Alan Smitted are like pretty poor films. They don't have great production value. They're just pretty shitty. Obviously, American Hat Strikes is one of the fucking standout films of the 90s. Probably one of the best films of the past 20 years. So it's. I think that's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb on the fact that that was an Alan Smitty. But. Like you were saying, I, I'm not quite sure with the production. I'm not going to fucking point any fingers, but from what I've heard, it's that it is because you know back in those days, and he's came out in the middle of himself that you know Edward Norton, who's probably my top three favorite actors, pretty is cool. pretty difficult or was pretty difficult uh, to work with, and maybe I, I know that he kind of had a reputation for rewriting scripts, right. even though he had the right to do so. Did they, did they say something about that? Yeah, I think he kind of came out. Oh fuck! No, actually, but there, I'm not even sure. I don't. I don't want to be quoted on that, but I think I just I've read so much about Edward Norton. In being so difficult to work with, that it's put it this way: Edward Norton was seen as one of the greatest actors of the nineties and the next big hope. And then all of a sudden, after sort of like Fight Club and American Hustrex, she thought that he was going to go on even bigger things, and then it just kind of faded out. It was a good film, but mm. apparently, again, it's Hollywood insider stuff. But from what I've heard and from what I've read, is that Edward Norton's career kind of flatlined for a while because nobody worked with. Which is a very, very sad thing because I do think he's possibly one of the most gifted actors that has ever loved. But because nobody wanted to work him, he didn't get these roles. And he, f- and he failed in a public conscience. And now recently, he's starting to make a comeback because he's had that wee thing going on with Wes Anderson. He's had Birdman. Birdman, I thought was really interesting because it was almost... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Like he was making a joke out of the... Yep. Thing and, and that's what I'm... Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I mean... He... he, he I, for me, I think he was the best man. Yeah, same here. I see, see that scene when you first see him and... Keaton together, mm, that's incredible. Thing, I think I I think is this on the stage where they're going through the driver on the play. I think personally, maybe I'm just saying this play because you know it's coming to my head. But yeah, oh come on, put that plastic <laughs> thing on here. <laughs> but <laughs> I think uh, for me, between two actors, possibly the greatest piece of acting I seen last year in cinema. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was great. But uh, I think that Norton has kind of respected the fact that. You know, it maybe it was a bit difficult to work with, and hence why he made a joke of it in Birdman. But uh, hopefully, now this is a second dawn. This is a second coming. So Edward Norton and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since that's how we got on. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck do we get in that? No idea. From listen to the podcast. Yeah, listen to the podcast. Was the 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 Smitty with the the name? Oh, Leon Smitty. Yeah, Leon Smitty. But yeah, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, one point I'll make about it oddly enough I've never actually seen it I've never actually seen it because you I have all there are some really good visual moments on it I've heard for it's time what was that 2002 2003 when CGA was kind of coming on the it's it's, uh, it's, it's it had it's some really you know, it had some really it was, sorry it was like, in it's, it's infancy like uh, that's when CGA was during the Lord Trilogy it was uh, proper it, it but, had some proper Wachowski-ish sequences on it yeah it was very clean very detailed and it was you know it was all CGA but I mean, just it's just a script with balls. By the time you cut that about an hour and a half through, there was some stupid twist. You were just like, "This is shit. Yeah. This is passionate." Is and there not some story though that uh, like Sean Connery passed on being Gandalf in Lord of the Rings? That's it. Aye. And then he passed. Is that on, true? He though? passed on being Morpheus. I. Jesus. Did Sean. he pass on being Morpheus? Passed on being Morpheus. Passed on being Gandalf because he, he didn't understand the script. Did and he not pass on being gentleman? Did he not pass on being someone in X Men as well? Wolverine. <laughs> uh, I think he might have been. Try Magneto maybe. Was it Magneto? I was. Uh, see, I or was no. thinking Magneto. Or would, no, was it? I think it because those three might have been uh, uh, Brian Cox's part. Uh, striker. Stri- I think he might have been Striker. Uh, see, uh, well, that would have been good. You see what what, I, what I I'm trying to say is he he passed in these kind of Morpheus big, big and Gandalf and this is because he didn't understand them. Eh? And then. So League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was him just going, all right, uh, these things seem to be working. I'm yeah. going to do this. Oh, I and then it was just choice. terrible. So uh, that was the last live action film he did. He did yeah. a voice and he, 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 he some basically Yeah, he basically <laughs> said that that for some of the retirement. What's crazy as well about Morpheus and uh, Gandalf and these roles yeah. they turned out because, because they are now so iconic, thinking of Sean Connery in those roles almost seems fucking comical. You know what I mean? Do you know who was up for uh, Aragorn? A couple of elders, Vin Diesel was offered. Oh, sweet. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Really? Mel Gibson was offered. 
What was they? Do you mean back then? That was what like when they were shooting. It that was in nineteen. Fucking classic. That was it. Nah, man, I can't nah. see because I am so. On, nah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Frodo. <laughs> but no, because but like I'm so. Intensity. I mean, you watch him on Hamlet. You watch him stuff like this here, and just even even the hair and all, he definitely could have done it. the Braveheart thing and all the the rugged. Ah, uh, no, but, done, but see, Braveheart's over the top. Whereas I mean, Lord of the Rings is more nuanced, and it's you know, it's, I, I think it's more worthy of the text. I just, for me, as a fucking gigantic Lord of the Rings fan, I, still perfect, I can't like, see anybody. You know, I can't still. see anybody in that role except Viggo Mortensen, which is crazy because for the first like four or five weeks of shooting, they had what do you call him again? Oh, He's been forgotten by time. Uh, Stuart someone like Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. Uh, and then they they they, they fucking obviously can I, they yeah made, they, they made the, the right decision yeah because <laughs> if you ever look online and see is he pa- one of the elves or something he, he's in the Hobbit films isn't I'm he? not sure if he is but if you look I at images know. listener of sure Townsend obviously I would like to think that a lot of your fucking massive Lord of the Rings fans Aragorn is probably ingrained in your skull as being Aragorn like there, there's no moving on that if you look at sure Townsend he, he looks like a kid who's just kind of fucking went on the Aragorn suit it's it's not good it's not good Will Smith as well was supposed to be Neo Neo that's right though. fucking hell there's another one as well. There's a couple of the others. Yeah, there's know. one I definitely have here. Oh? Yeah. Tom Selleck was supposed to be in Dana Jones. That was <laughs> oh, my word. his choice in this, where was that get the fuck? No, it was it because... Was Pack Adam. No, they, they were going to shoot with Tom Selleck, but then he left to go do Magnum P.I. Did he? Yeah. He left for this small TV show. Selleck's not a bad actor. I mean, he gets a lot of grief, but he is a good actor, like. I think there's a stigma on Selleck because basically he is known as the world's cheese. No, but uh, 80s cheese and the world's most famous mustache wear. But all are not there. I mean, Selleck actually is a pretty fucking solid actor. Mm. I think that Selleck probably had a, a bit of a. Not a wasted career. I'm sure that he's fucking laughing on this bed of money right now. Like I'm, he had a great I'm sure, career. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he had a wasted career. Hey, he's had a couple of episodes of Friends. The Pike. He's he about, he about 10 or 12. The Pike, yeah. <laughs> Oh, hair knows. <laughs> no, he's like, oh, he did a couple. He's like, oh, no, he no, did like 10 or 12. He's, he's fucking nicking like, them. What was his name, Fred? Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Call him Heron, biggest friend. Okay. Um, Richard, he's trying to kill me. <laughs> fugitive. I watched The Fugitive Brilliant. last week. We keep going back to the same phone. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about we have the Fugitive not about, about, We actually don't know how about phones. I know it's the same phones over again. See, this is what this podcast that they're revealing me. I was just thinking, oh, fuck yeah. I think I, I think I might know myself by phones. I think I'm, I'm confident to do a podcast. I just, and we you, keep going back to the you, same phones. Did you come back I, to your favourite too? Yeah, But all the phones that I'm really talking about are not my favourite. So I'm like, am I thinking to myself now? Have I literally just seen about 10 phones? No, but see, we watched the... I watched Pitch Perfect like last week because uh, uh, my girlfriend wanted to go see Pitch Perfect too. Then, of course she did. But then, uh, <laughs> it it uh, after we watched that Aaron on the Amazon Instant Video, uh, uh, the Fugitive came up. Then I was like, let's watch fucking Fugitive. So I, <laughs> I stuck it on, and as I was waiting for it to load, I just I just I just sat and said to myself, I didn't kill my wife. And the way I said it, just I started pissing myself. <laughs> I was all like, that's a pretty good impression and Jill had never seen the future and she she was all, and I was all right when he says I didn't kill my wife just think about what I just said and it's the perfect impression it was a terrible impression <laughs> Michael like we said it wrong we've really overstated how good we are at impressions yeah. we are obviously blatantly awful do you okay. watch Tommy Jones in interviews though like you know because he always plays these fast talking characters and he always uh, is he not kind of like a pure dick in interviews 
Mm. Oh, he's not a dick. I think he just keeps himself to himself. He, he just, he's very, he doesn't he's, do he's, much. He's, he's suspicious of the interview. He's like, wait, you want to know? <laughs> he's just fucking sick it. He could be probably. Like. Just, and, uh, okay, here, we'll move on to Yeah, because we, we've we spent quite a bit of time there. Uh, okay. Who wants to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. My topic this week is, as a filmmaker, or as like a film fan, the first film that you ever watched, and you kind of came out of the cinema, or, you know, wherever you watched it and just thought I'll never make a film as good as that because it's my topic I'll put it to use first okay, I'll and see first. what you have to think Garden State <laughs> Garden State really? the reason because Garden State is because I've talked about it before that, that film broke something inside myself yeah <laughs> that, it's, it's it, made you, it made you malfunction basically yeah you. it's like I burst into tears and started crying for no apparent reason during that film mm. yeah and the very end <laughs> and uh and no, I was no, because it was the second time I'd watched it, and I just burst into tears. Very, I was watching it with Jill, and then I just started hugging her. I was like, "I love you so much." And, uh, <laughs> great story. Um, it's all about that Peter Sarsgaard. <laughs> Where is his next big role? But uh, yeah, that was a good film. I, really like it. I, I know. Like I, 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 I love great soundtrack too. Kraken I love Garden State, and holds a very special place in my heart. I would never say it's one of the best films ever, really, but I think we all have those very personal films that it just means a lot to me. Yeah, of course. And just, I connected with it so much, and because it broke me, and that I cried. <laughs> it er- broke me. It did break it, because now any any slight of emotion in a film, I will start crying. <laughs> it has ruined me I for other films. That's what we're talking about. See, like, you're, you're now like a fucking, you're just like a... You'll give it out for any film. I'm, like, I'm, just, I mean, I'm just a cheap a- date any, film. Any, <laughs> any film with a hint of emotion, Mickey's gone. I'm, I'm gone. Tears blind them. <laughs> Even fucking episode of Car and Ice <laughs> can get me going. But, uh, <laughs> I So it broke on inside myself and it's really personal to me. And I connect so much with that film that I just kind of think that I'm never going to make a film that someone will connect with the way I connect that and the way I feel about that film. Mm. I can't imagine someone being so emotionally connected yeah. with something that I make. Mm. Yourself, Colm? If you, if you don't have one now, then I, I can move on to mine and then come back to yourself. Uh, see, you said about this, and I, I was thinking about it in, in many fucking levels, because... Um, it is a bit of an odd one. It, it is, yeah, that's because, a bit of a strange like one. You could say Avatar because you don't have the technology. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, but I mean, on a personal level, of what you want to achieve I mean, as a filmmaker. Yeah. The first film yeah, I remember. ever set up to somebody uh, was The Assassination of Jesse James by the choreographer Ford, yeah. where I said I'll never make something as good as that. Yeah. And because it is so polished. It is, and it's so. For a film on a scale like that, and, you know, some, sometimes films with a big scale. That you find it hard to find the, wee, the the tiny character moments. Those are the films that need it the most. Yeah, and there's there's one. What? Just to redefine the listener about what the top this topic's about. Obviously, me, you, or you have seen cracking films. You know, these people, me. What? Oh, <laughs> me, Michael, or Heron have seen <laughs> cracking films, and obviously they stick with us and I mean obviously any great film that's ever been made it's a quite a vague point you could easily say that any great film or any film in general that's ever been made you could say I'll never make a film as good as that mm. but for me my point was a film as a film fan and as somebody who wants to make films that you've seen that just everything came together perfectly the sound the visuals the script you know the, the, the acting the direction everything just hit you at that one point that one time and it just really cemented itself uh, in your mind that 
Jesus wow. Christ, that was just a marriage of so many different elements, yeah. and it made a proper visual experience. And yeah, that well, I just wanted to kind of redefine uh, that. But let me okay. continue. I, I, I want to say two. Oh, there's two films we talk about, um, and one I'll talk about later because it's involved in my topic. But um, definitely assassination of Jesse James because the thing I talk about is some films, you know, that are beautifully shot, they end up being quite dull. Whereas Jesse James is it's, it's a beautifully shot film. I think it, it reminds you that Brad Pitt is actually a really fucking good actor. Hell's yeah. Because I always like Brad Pitt, and he does have he does have great subtlety on too. And there, there's yeah. one scene, I think. I can't remember the name of the character, but it was a character that was in sort of cahoots with another character and their kind of band of, uh, their, their sort of band of bandits or whatever. And then uh, Brad Pitt comes to visit him. He just said, uh, I just happened by, or like I said, I just happened by and this kind of thing. And the guy's just shit scared of him. And uh, it's just this one sequence where, I'll not explain what happens, but it's a tiny, tiny moment where Brad Pitt is looking at him and he sort of says that doesn't explain why you're scared and it's it's threatening but it's also sort of he knows that the guy's lying to him yeah and the guy probably hasn't done very much wrong uh according to jesse but you know whatever happens then there's a moment where brad pitt takes his hat off and he sort of he just looks off into the distance and it's a split second it's a second or two but you see him and what what that wee two second moment to me is, is showing me that someone as as threatening and as powerful as Jesse James can't have friends because yep. there's, there's there's money out on him there's all these things you know like there's there's he can't trust anybody yeah you know really he can never get close to anyone he's so alone in the world if you know what I mean and it's told thee in fucking two or three seconds that Brad Pitt's yeah. acting and in a film how big it is and how many stakes it spans it spans seasons and it's a huge gorgeous film gorgeous score everything and it's it's just they have moments like that, don't it? Great nuance on it, like that. There, I just I just think it's a masterpiece. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. No, I totally agree. With you. Uh, a very quick point before uh, I move on to my own about the assassination of Jesse James. Also, one of my personal favorites. One I've always loved about it is the fact that Jesse James is seen as this sort of uh, American hero. There's this sort of historical debate that was Jesse James like a kind of Robin Hood of the you know the American West. Or was he just a fucking murderer who just wanted to steal for his own gain? I don't think he gave money to anybody. Like no, I mean, like, I, I think that kind of, I think the film even kind of points that as well. That you, you never, obviously, his legend kind of precedes him, but he, yeah. he's never actually seen being like a sort of charitable man yeah, and all that. Yeah. But what I loved about it is that he's built up as this sort of American icon and this sort of hero for the ages. But the film presents him as being socially awkward and massively, massively vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And this man who can't really connect with people and, of course, is a man of very, very few words. Mm. And then, obviously, not to do a spoiler, but even that last line, like, most people in American history will think, oh, Jesse James, you know, he probably went down in a gunfight or he probably had this badass last line like every other fucking major character that you've ever seen in film or literature or whatever. And apparently, I don't know how uh, authentic or, or how true this is, but apparently Jesse James' last line was literally saying, don't that picture look dusty? Yeah. He's seen a picture on a wall in his house. Have you seen it, Mickey? No, I haven't seen it. No. No, that, well, that should be a recommendation for you for this week. But he's seen a picture on a wall in his house, and he says, don't that picture look dusty? And from what history tells us, and how the film obviously presents it, is that he stood up on a chair, 
wipe the dust off the picture and whilst he was standing up in the chair Robert Forrest shot him in the back of the head and it's such a kind of unglamorous ending to what was a very unglamorous fucking life and I love the fact that Andrew Dominic mm. could have easily just done this sort of over the top spectacle of Jesse James and the legend that kind of surrounds him but he didn't do that he actually made a, a kind of meditative realistic Aye. opinion of, 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 of a man who Aye. was against the law but obviously you don't have this glamorous life uh, and another thing about about even about the score I've been trying to put my finger on what it is about the score that I like and I think it's because it's so delicate and it sits just above the story mm-hmm. I mean you've the, the score has the feeling that you're hearing an old tale but it also has the feeling that you're looking down on these people as children because you are you're looking at it in hindsight and you're looking at it you know these people don't have to do these things they're doing them you know but you're you know you're understanding them and you're understanding the motives for it but but there, there's a real tragedy and a sort of bittersweet kind of almost like uh like a lullaby to mm-hmm. the, the, the score mm-hmm. and just so many choices made that film as good as it is and I'll say a quick about the second one, uh, Wonder Boys. I have to, I have to say, um, I mean, I could have said Heat or something like that there too, you know, but Heat actually inspires me to fucking make a film like that. It really does. Like, but yeah. Wonder Boys, uh, from start to finish, I have to say, is one of those perfect films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You just you, you settle on that. It comes away, ways away, you know, and it's still making cool, cool choices and all. And this kind of stuff, it's beautiful. Shot by Daddy Spinata, the guy shot like confidential, and he shot most of Michael Mann's films. But it's not that uh, handheld, fast shooting. It's just very beautiful, very neony. And uh, Michael Douglas playing against type, and uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Rob Torn, Katie Holmes, Tobey Maguire, doing his best Tobey Maguire impression. And it's just a nice wee Midwest Pittsburgh sort of film. And uh, that those are the two films I'd say. Uh, Excellent. All right. Well, it's my topic this week, and I kind of I filtered between a couple of ones, but I think that the film that I thought that I would never mix on as good as that was There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood for me. I mean, we were talking a few weeks back. Is that Paul Thomas Anderson was uh, kind of getting a reputation in the in the late nineties? You know, obviously he had Boogie Nights, now Magnolia as being this kind of really expansive director he was he was that kind of the bright young thing but he wasn't tackling the sort of themes like a tarantino like the standard revenge films he was taking on like proper human emotion and 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 making these huge epics that were that were built around just humans and not that kind of fucking shootouts and stuff like that and it was exceptionally interesting so then when it came to there will be blood obviously with day lewis being considered maybe the best actor ever I don't know that's all part of it but obviously as, as Irishman and he is, he is an adopted Irishman we fucking love him I love him anyway because of his talent I'd say probably is yeah I'd say he, he, he could well be the greatest actor to ever loved you know even over the Pacinos the De Niro's the, the Olivier's you know what have you but I think there's nobody I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody who you could say has as much range as him yeah it, it's strange to say I mean because Day Lewis is so talked about and he's so renowned and you hear all these mythical stories about him you know yeah. getting so into character that he wears a coat during gangs in New York and you know he got the yeah. flu and then they had to give him modern medication yeah. you think is that just Hollywood pump is that just Hollywood no, trying to yeah, 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 I mean, is, is that just Hollywood yeah. trying to fucking kind of stress how committed he is you'll never be quite sure of it but yeah. De Lewis seems like the sort of person who would go that far in this role and his performances obviously spell that out to you but in that film 
what it was for me is it was the first time I ever watched a film and it, it's probably one of the reasons that it is one of my you probably catch me saying this a lot of the times listening that it's one of my favorite films of all time but this is literally in my my top maybe three four you know some days you might ask me maybe number one I've always got this thing that I don't think you ever have a a, a proper favorite film I think that I think that obviously because there's so many genres and so many time periods and films fit your mood that you're going to have a different film maybe not every day but maybe every week or whatever you're going through in your life you know some days I might say The Apartment some days I might say Taxi Driver some days I might say There Will Be Blood some days I might say Spirit of the Beehive what you know whatever but There Will Be Blood was the first time I looked at a film and because I've been following Paul Thomas Anderson and I knew that he was phenomenally talented that absolutely every single small thing about that film mm -hmm. for me was perfect the soundtrack meticulous, that film, right? oh, and, and that's and that's PTA's thing that he is so meticulous about everything the soundtrack by Johnny he Greenwood from, made, though. he has to be made though right? I don't think he's most great films has to be made though that film was he must be off his fucking head <laughs> 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 have, haven't they babysit Daniel Day-Lewis for about fucking two months with Randy fucking Sobble but uh, <laughs> the score by Johnny Greenwood is, I think, probably uh, the, the, the biggest hidden gem about the film, because everybody can say about the visuals, and obviously everybody says about the performance and stuff like that, but the score by Johnny Greenwood, because it is like a modern-day kind of neo-Western, but it's yeah. got this sort of completely removed score. It just... It's, it's, got, it's, got this, it's got this mental thing that it, where, where it gets really heavily orchestral, right? Mm. And it's a thing that every time it happens, when there's some buzzy happening on screen, yeah. it's dead, and there's none happening on screen, it's fucking huge. So much so that the opening shot, I literally felt somebody was going to fucking reach for me in the cinema. Yeah. I was watching <laughs> it, I actually had to look around behind me. You know, I was. I felt like something was going to fucking happen. Although to me. I'll disagree I like, because you would say that pretty much the only <laughs> set piece that the film has is when. Again, spoilers, if you haven't seen There Will Be Blood, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. But if, uh, if, Call if, it out, though, listeners. Yeah, no, 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 only the fifth episode I'm Shan Coyle getting very pompous. But uh, if, you, if you haven't seen uh, There Will Be Blood, uh, the, the, the big set piece in There Will Be Blood is obviously when, that, when the, the fucking, the old dam explodes and his kid gets blown back and gets fucking deafened and he's running back down the hill towards like their house Bastard and it's uh, yeah but it's it's this fucking clicky I'm I not quite sure Bane was in that book <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not I'm, I'm not an instrumental sort of person but it's it's this clicky sort of fucking drum beat and stuff like that <laughs> and it's just building up usually in a film like that you would have your, your sort of typical orchestral or kind of rock score that is driving through this narrative point of him running down a hill but it's him running down a hill and it's this really vacant clicking drum beat and it just adds the piss here, especially has his piss picks up while he's running down the hallway with his son and he doesn't know what's going Even on. Birdman has that, it's really stripped drum yeah. with my yeah. And I mean, at the same time, I'll say that every single thing just merged on each other and made this phenomenal piece of cinema. Day Lewis is, of course, the driving force. I don't want really to talk so much about acting because Day Lewis's performance in that film has been talked to death by so many other people. It is fucking phenomenal. And of course, too, I think it got a bit of a, a, a pop culture osmosis, you would say, because there were some lines in there, like, you know, I drink your milkshake and stuff like that, that kind of got under the, the poster. I don't like the fact that, that, that that's kind of overruled the film. Well, no, no, not, not so much, but it is. It that's is. actually, that, 
there's it's funny because it seems like it's the most ridiculous thing in the film, but it's actually something that's it's based taken. on it's based on uh, the film. The film uh, PTA based the script on Upton Sinclair's uh, I think like 1920 1922 book called Oil, which is essentially about oil drilling in in that time period in America, and he studied cases around the time of uh, legal disputes between uh, like oil barns and, and landowners and stuff like that. And apparently, I'm not quite sure, I haven't seen the documents, but he lifted that line verbatim from a court case of that time, Jeez. which is fucking phenomenal. But yeah. Does it happen on a court or happens in a bar on a phone? It, it happens, uh, it hap- no, it happens in a, in a balloon line, which is on his <laughs> house, and that's when he fucking bits him to death. But, uh, definite spoiler if, if you haven't seen no, it. No, does it? It doesn't happen with your man, though. It happens with Eli. It happens, it happens with Eli at, at the very end of the film. Because Eli comes to him and says, "There's, there's still oil in our farm and all this," and he explains how he drinks his milkshake. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he he, he goes about the business yeah, of, yeah, of, of yeah. Somewhere else, of putting. Is, uh, am I just imagine this, or is the last line of that when he just turns around and goes, "I'm done now"? Yeah, that's oh, the last so line. good uh, again as well. Line. Even like for so for good. for me, the perfect film, obviously the perfect film you would assume has to have the perfect sign-off. And the perfect sign-off of that is Daniel DeLuis, a.k.a. Daniel Plainview, sitting in the Malays bowling line. Spoiler. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Just say it. We've already spoiled it, but yeah. this is the exact... This is the exact detail, actual the exact end spoiler. of the film. Oh, no, so, I, I thought you were calling out a spoiler for that Daniel DeLuis plays Daniel Plainview. <laughs> <laughs> no. So... No. Daniel Plainview, a.k.a. Daniel DeLuise, <laughs> sitting in the middle of his bowling alley. The bowling alley, of course, at that time period as well, the ultimate sign of wealth and prosperity. And he's sitting in the middle of it, head down after a bowling alley. You have a bowling alley. Did you fuck? I wish. <laughs> but uh, I know, if we wouldn't be doing this podcast, we had a bowling alley in this house. Yeah, bowling true. Him sitting in the middle, <laughs> just basically, it was like a big, like the big Lebowski. The just us. The pun shifters. It'll be just us recording fucking strikes that we've had like I love that in the Big Lebowski he's lost them back no dialogue or not he's just lost them back the boy strikes even though they all sound the same he's all yeah that's such and such a 95 <laughs> but anyway besides that Daniel Day-Lewis sitting in the middle of this bowling line which is obviously the sign of opulence the sign of wealth and it's a sign of how far he's come along from being just a fucking nobody. Doesn't like bowling. And he's, he's, from what I heard, he hates bowling. You know, I mean, that, that was the word in the street. But he's sitting with the head down, and his manservant comes down the stairs, and he goes, "On, oh, Mister Daniel," and he turns round and goes, "I'm finished." And I like oh, the fact that uh, I'm finished. And I like the fact that it literally draws a curtain of film. It, it has so many points that last line, which just shows how much a perfect film is. I'm finished, as in the film is finished. The film about that man and his story is finished, but then it has the other term that he's just murdered a man in his own house, and he might have power and he might have contacts, but when they find out that he's murdered a man, it probably is unfinished yeah. as a person within that film as well. I like uh, to think, though, that that was genuinely Daniel Deleuze turned around. He had been sat there for maybe like two hours after just killing a guy. Well, I mean, like, he, and just turned around, he's like, I'm finished. Don't say fuck all that. I, I just. Everyone else has left. Well, <laughs> what I mean, like Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel's working. Get the fuck out of the He's not working. 
Daniel Day-Lewis is that much MF an actor that he literally beat Paul Dano to death in yeah. that scene. And they've yeah. just had like a kind of fucking mimic Paul Dano yeah. for the past couple oh, no, years. Paul, Paul <laughs> Dano did have a twin. <laughs> he, he's taken yeah. up his career now. <laughs> Anytime you see Paul Dano now, Daniel Day-Lewis is just wearing him. He's <laughs> just, just a mat on uh, fucking Daniel Day-Lewis' house. Yeah, he, just, he just cut his face off and he's just beating okay. MF an actor Paul Dano. <laughs> I'm going to bring up my topic now. And I say my topic... Don told me his topic before he, he didn't know he was going to not be here this week. So I'm stealing Don's topic, so he's here in spirit. Mm. <laughs> Ron, so, uh, you're just a lazy bastard. <laughs> I'm just a lazy bastard and don't think of a topic this week. But uh, yeah, dead actors. And if they were still alive, what roles would you like to see them play today? I, I'd like to kick this one off. Go for it. I'd like to see Steve McQueen still alive today. Yeah. Uh-huh. And be in a Steve McQueen film. All right. The director Steve McQueen of 12 Years Alive. <laughs> just to cr- confuse the fuck out of people when the credits roll. Just, like, <laughs> just showing up at each other's parties and all, just to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my answer. Uh-huh. Right, okay, so... What's up, sorry, repeat the topic? I was pouring a drink. Um... Dead, dead, dead actors that if they were alive today what would what would you like to see them play I can give you another example a more serious example if you want because of, of the whole thing recently of Disney making their cartoons live action mm-hmm. there's been talk about if they ever did Aladdin who, yeah. would, who would play the genie yeah and obviously Robin Williams is dead yes and I would like to see him play the genie there's a very romantic idea out there that you could still use his voice recordings voice, yeah, and have a CGI on. genie now. But at the same time... It's a just... very nice idea, but I don't think it, they yeah, could it's, it's a nice idea, but then you're essentially just doing a rehash of the first no, one. You obviously want to make a Notoriously a massive improviser. So... I, apparently mm. there's there's hours and hours of just him improvising. Yeah, like. but, the, but the way I would look at it is if there's hours and hours, and I mean, fair enough, people like, kind of look lovely on improvisation, and I fucking absolutely love Rob Williams. Obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire, I fucking adore one of my favorite films as a child. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks back. But... A well of stuff with improvisation, a, a thing that people look over quite a bit is that 90% of improvisation, even if it's the most talented person on earth, is shite. Yeah. Hence why it is cut from the final thing. Because if it was that good, then I'd be included. You know what I mean? Right. They would, they would kind of actually make a way of putting it on there. Yeah. Right, well, who is an answer? Come on, I get mine. Uh, Colin I, I couldn't think of it for ages. Yeah, you were sending me around. I think the one that I would uh, that I actually kind of like to see. <laughs> oh, do you have one? Well, no, I was saying I would have loved to have seen Richard Harris finish Dumbledore. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely better Michael Gamble. I mean, Michael Gamble's different. He has a sort of school teacher thing about him and the way he talks down to kids and all. Yeah. But And school teacher thing for the role of Dumbledore is obviously number one. Uh, <laughs> That's what you're looking for. Uh, Richard Harris just was great too. He was exactly how you, you'd imagine him like. Yeah. And when you're away, like you come back and you watch his film, Guilty Pleasure, stick it on. And uh, it was just like, fucking hell, he's, yeah, he's right on the money. The, the thing for me, and maybe it's not, uh, it, it's probably a very, very obvious one, but I think it's because his life was cut short so early and it's, it's quite tragic and he just seemed to be having his pomp and his peak. Heath Ledger? Is Heath Ledger. I think you're going to say James Dean. James, no, no. Well, obviously James Dean is, is the sort of... But I mean, like, it's kind of strange with James Dean. James Dean is, is like a, a pop culture icon. And he done, obviously, three films. He done Red Word of Calls. And what's, what's the other one? Giant. Giant. And I was about to say big, that's Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's Giant. But, uh, but just James, a quick little about uh, Giant. 
I feel like they're a bit bloated. I, I always thought Giant was better than be Blood, by the way. It's a similar topic, but I, I just thought it was a bigger epic and it was a bigger span in epic. It spanned 30 years, the film. See, I can't agree with this. But uh, I will watch oh, it. You have to watch I have the box. I will watch it. Go stuff. back on the Heath Ledger. Right. Yeah, Heath Ledger, I think it's just, he was hunting his peak. Obviously, he got the posthumous Oscar for The Dark Knight. He was phenomenal in uh, Brokeback Mountain. Even from an early stage, even like doing 10 Things I Hate About You, fair enough, 10 Things I Hate About You, 10 Things I Hate About You is a teen comedy, and obviously teen comedies can descend on the absolute shit very quickly because they just rely on the formulas and and the jocks. Of course, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I like about I like the fact that 10 Things I Hate About You stands out in the fact that it was obviously based on Othello and it was no, trying no, to be a, no it's based on Tim Ministry Ministry it was a, a modern day sort of Shakespearean tale so it had a, a wee bit more thought behind it a wee bit more depth yeah. and even seeing that I mean Heath Ledger came apparently from what I've heard from Australia with fucking you know basically nothing he was trying to make his way in, in Hollywood and that was one of the first roles that he puck out and even think from there yes okay fair enough he, he was lucky enough to be selected that you could kind of see from then they was trying to pick different roles that was essentially the way you know broke back mountain it was essentially with um the Sunnier. I think the Sunnier is a bad film. Uh, Jesse James film as well. This, this is what I'm getting. Oh, on Nick Nick Kelly. Kelly. This is what I'm getting on the. You just ruined me. <laughs> you just ruined it for me. Nick Kelly, of course, Candy as well, of yeah. course, an excellent yeah. film. Yeah. Nick Kelly is maybe Australia's greatest ever hero. Irish American, or sorry, Irish American, Irish Australian. So Irish born, but uh, <laughs> Irish Australian. Uh, he is. Uh, he was a criminal. He was essentially Australia's, you know, in, in a very romanticised look. He was uh, Australia's Robin Hood, kind of Ralph Lauren rich and give the purr. Yeah, go for it. In the in the film, does he have the big stupid armor? Sort of armor. The big thing. Like? See, the, the downfall of Ned Kelly's it was just handled maybe a wee bit too ham fisted, and it was kind of portraying Ned Kelly as yes, of course, as Robin Hood, but I think it kind of, it, it kind of maybe. I was trying to take a take a picture of her and pouring vodka into a beer can <laughs> but I don't have enough space on my phone to take a fucking picture it was maybe a bit ham-fisted but what I liked about Ned Kelly is it kind of married the, the more meditative and, and nicer points of Ned Kelly's life and the principles that he stood for without kind of dumbing it down with these huge ridiculous action scenes even though it comes down where he's obviously got the still suit on which it's kind of strange because to the modern day audience they would think oh it's fucking 1800 Australia he's got this big Iron Man fucking ass suit is on but that Jeffrey actually didn't happen I know that Rush? actually that, didn't happen yeah Jeff Rush played that's the general that's I know about Ned Kelly is because yeah. my dad drew me a picture of Ned Kelly see it's, it's crazy because one of the first times oh, I watched this film and so many people have come to me and said oh they're the Ned Kelly it's fucking so over the top he's wearing this big iron suit like a fucking you know like a shit Tony Stark and happened. it's like that actually <laughs> happened him and his brothers yeah. and his fucking his, band of, his bandits made these suits that's the only thing I know about Ned Kelly is, is that crazy. he had a big fucking suit armor but uh, what I like is invented Iron Man <laughs> well, essentially Ned Kelly was the first Iron Man like you know what I mean but uh, what I loved about it is that they kind of they, they mused on the, the, the poetry and, and, and I suppose the the, the, the sort of the, the tragedy in Ned, Ned Kelly's life is that he was this young man who kind of gave it all for his country and, and never really achieved anything. But I think that Heath Ledger plays that so well and the emotions that he gets across with it. Mm. I think it was a poorly made film. I think that some of the the dialogue was completely and utterly puck 
out of a, a fucking abandoned rom-com script or something like that mm-hmm. because some of it just comes across as too on the nose but I like that do you know I, who wrote it? who wrote it? John Michael McDonough really? yeah which is quite surprising it's fucking one of the first John Michael McDonough like fucking like yes. the I'm very very surprised about it I know it's, surprised it's, it's his first uh, screenplay I think all in all what I was about to say about Ned Kelly was a short. It, yeah all in all what I was about to say about John Michael McDonough about the script is that Sometimes it's got these kind of things that are too on the nose. Maybe that is fucking, you know, proving the fact that it was a first script and maybe it was I airing out the kinks and he was still there in his trade. But at the same time, why I think it's a hidden gem is that you can see, now that I know it's John Michael McDonough, that I sent you, it, 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 it doesn't romanticise this man, but it focuses on him as a person and the thing that he's going for. And how he drew that, well, obviously not John Michael McDonald, but the director drew this performance out of Heath Ledger because he, I think he, he kind of lobbied for Ned Kelly for so many years. It just looks at him in a different way. And thought because the Ned Kelly film could have been just made, basically the Australian fucking, like the Australian re- ultimate revenge film and it's just a stupid action film and like Ned Kelly does this revenge, blah, blah, blah. Whereas it doesn't do that. And in a way, old enough, what we were just talking about, it was almost kind of like, and not as accomplished, but like a, it's an unconventional film. Though, I would say it? it was. It was almost like it was almost like the Australian version of the assassination of Jesse James. Aye. But I just a wee quick one to end that off. Did you see Mick Jagger's Ned Kelly? <laughs> Have you seen it? Yes, I think it's fucking class. See, Mick well, Jagger's no, I, a very I'm strange. Like, I've seen the last twenty minutes of it, and it's just. <laughs> Charge it on the last No, no, but what do you call it? It's one of those shoes that always, the center. Uh, always <laughs> trying to come back to. But, like, it was just that there, the way it was shot, that it reminded me, like, the Wild Bunch or something and all. Yeah. And there's something about Mike Jerry, he just, he just has a 70s face on him. I don't know what it is. And it was like, colored people, blood and all, and all. People don't just, look like Mike Jagger anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where, where did he come out of? People, like, people don't. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the same face from the 70s. Yeah, it's like when you look, you look back at the, the 80s, you look back at the 80s, and you see like 80s hair. People's hair doesn't grow that way anymore. It doesn't grow out. <laughs> it grows down. But anyway. Right, move on. Hair in your topic. Hair did, did everybody get the the day? I didn't actually do one of, of yours. Yeah, no, but I didn't do the who died or whatever. Yeah, you did. Who? Kind of mine, but you definitely said something. Did I say something? Oh, no, actually, you haven't. You haven't actually. Oh, no, I said Bush or so it wasn't. Well, I suppose it wasn't. It was, all right, fuck, doesn't matter. That's right, we'll just move on now. So, that means. Yeah. But that was his topic. Actors who died? No, that was mine. Oh, shit. Your topic was. Jesus Christ, boys. I guess I'm getting lost, mate. <laughs> like. uh, <laughs> Do you want me to tell oh, you? No, 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 it was, it was, uh, it was uh, actors playing against type. Yeah, Actor, actors playing cool. against type, and just I mean, sorry, we can it, cut it's, that. It's a very open uh, sort of a, <laughs> just a very open sort of conversation. But I, I was just because I, I was fucking struggling with it. It's on to talk about, but I was mentioning it earlier. I was talking about Wonder Boys, and because as I say, I think it's a perfect film. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think for lots of reasons, the same reason I was saying about. Sometimes it films that are so good, they're dull. Mm-hmm. You know, Wonder Boys... Like, like uh, Argentina playing football. Like fucking Leon. <laughs> no, we don't. Is it, Argen- <laughs> is it Argentina? <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I-, I think I'm the only football fan in this, this Fulham tent that we've got going on right now. Mm. But you're like the least football fan of all time. So you de- for you to make a comment about Fulham is mind-blowing. But you're saying film, football? Football, but your, your comment about football was wrong, but then we continue. No, Argentina, are they not a really good team? Yeah, they're a really good team, but do you not call them dull? 
Aye, they're they're so good that they're dull. They just they, they can pass the ball like up and down the field to each other, and, 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 and that, it's it's uber dull. I'll say one thing: not that Marlon teams, but I, we're I've heard this during the World Cup. I know that, that that was that specific team. But anyway, we're yeah. going to move on. This a this fan podcast, Michael. You're the ah, host. Fuck you. Come on, keep keep it keep it checking. No, check. I'm making my Argentina. This is the one time I can reference fucking football. We're going right. to be a football podcast. <laughs> right? Go for it, lad. No, I think I'll say about Wonder Boys as a, as well as um, being as I say, I think one of the most perfect films I've ever seen. Uh, it does take a lot of risks. I mean, there's Robert Downey Jr. plays uh, like a promiscuous sort of agent for Michael Douglas, mm. and uh, he pretty much was shagging with a heartbeat on it. Yeah, and uh, is that not what Robert Downey Jr. always plays? <laughs> no, but, it, no, but it's, it's the sequence at the start where we're he, he does he have an iron suit in this film? He yes. certainly doesn't. But uh, he, he, uh, Michael Douglas he, he, he meets his girl <laughs> on the plane. He gets off the off the off the plane it's just this sort of joke and this kind of thing and all and he says oh do you know how many times I board a plane I was just hoping a girl like that would sit down next to me and then like Michael Douglas is stone he's all she's a transvestite he's all <laughs> so you're stone he's all she's still transvestite <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just the thing because he like I mean I think him and Tobey Maguire have a thing later on and stuff too yeah. you know? and uh, just there's things like that and what then, they fuck uh, uh, pretty much at some point in the film and, uh, and then there's Michael Douglas, who in the nineties was sort of notoriously playing these kind of Prince of Darkness sort of characters. Yeah. Like, a, I mean, a, even though it's not a great film, that film, A Perfect Murder, you couldn't fucking move on VHS where we'd seen a, a trailer for A Perfect Murder, and just that, that association of Michael Douglas is yeah. bad. But in the game too, there was a darkness there. But um, this here one, he's, he's a advanced creative writing teacher, and uh, he's a dope smoker, and it's just it takes place over this weekend where his agent Robert Downey Jr. is coming into town. He had one success of a novel, and he's just been waiting to try and find his follow-up yeah. for a long time, and he can't do it and stuff. And uh, I think it's it's Michael Douglas that really allures you into the film because you know even the things like romance and the stone and all when they when they were in the abandoned plane and all, there's definitely a looseness to him that you don't see very much. Mm-hmm. And I think because remember I think he throws the cocaine under the the campfire and romance and the stone and all, and then he just he leans under the campfire. And he's all. Yeah. That's why I call campfire. <laughs> 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 it's gonna back the point break as well when they have the fucking blanket over the thing. It's like that's how you use the rest of your stash or something. <laughs> <laughs> These really unsubtle uh, drug references in American cinema. But uh, no, I'm saying about specific one. I mean, I was I told we know too much about the film as a whole, but the thing is, Michael Douglas acting really against type, and it works so well. And I was always raising it didn't do better. Michael Douglas is raising it didn't do better. He always said it in interviews because he said he thinks that's his best work or one of his best works. Yeah. Well, when I first heard actors playing against type, for some reason the first thing came to my head was Tom Cruise in Collateral. Mm-hmm. Aye. Because Aye. he's he's the villain. He's been he's a bad guy. Yeah, and he's and always Tom, a good guy. Tom Cruise is always it's the actually a really good one. He's got so goddamn good. Vincent. Vincent. It's a really good one. But uh, that's a better one actually. I know he's he's class and class. I've got great stories about that as well. <laughs> you know me. He was on set. <laughs> no, but on the, on the features, like, I, I got a region one copy. Oh fuck! And, uh, <laughs> is, is this like your your ton Blade Runner special? Not, <laughs> no. But for some reason, on it, uh, as opposed to just open on the box, there's like two wee catches on it as well. Whatever. Yeah. But Very nice. the, the thing is. I'll just let you. I'll, I'll finish this week quick story, but it was just Michael Mance's when he was casting. He wanted to work with him, and I think they wanted to do it together. But he said everything about Tom Cruise is recognizable. He says his walk, you know, his voice, everything mm-hmm. about him, the way he moves, everything, yeah. and just even his mannerisms because he's a, he's an icon. Like, and so what happened was there was a special feature on the DVD, the, the American one. That's like it's like an Easter egg hidden feature. You had to look for it, 
and uh, he made him dress up as a FedEx delivery guy and put a hat on and sunglasses and a beard and he made him deliver a FedEx package and just talk to the guy and improvise and sort of talk to the guy who's delivering and just you know pretend that he worked for FedEx mm-hmm. for 10 or 8 years and no, there's a camera and you can see him doing it no? and it's the kind of thing in the interview the guy after him was all yeah, you know I just I didn't take everything up but I knew it was Tom Cruise, man. Don't tell him it's Tom Cruise until uh, after you. Exactly. But it was one of these things where, uh, you know, he said, if you can do that, then, you know, we can, we can start working on it. And they said, it was one of these things where he said, you have to stop smiling as much as well. I don't know if it was Hamid said it, was somebody said it to me. He says, one of your things is you smile away a lot in films. You know, even if yeah, you're doing yeah. something, whatever you should be doing, you're smiling. Or he just smiles generally. Yeah, he does, but even to be the vampire, he was playing a real fucking badass. Uh, he's, he's smiling too, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, well, I was literally just going to say him and Quattro, but... <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that's that's, that's the story. <laughs> you made a much bigger point. But, uh, no, I... But because he's a good guy that... Uh, played a villain there it made me think then of a guy that always plays a good guy that I would fucking love to see play a villain it's Tom Hanks yes I would love to see Tom can, Hanks that, just be a complete bastard because the man is a charismatic titan you know for a fact he could play the baddest bastard mm. on earth so it's kind of it's, it's crazy so he's never actually played he, a fucking he wavers it a wee bit in Rudy British I suppose he's a good man but he works he does a bad yeah, job but I, mean, yeah. it's, 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 I mean I think I'm Rudy British and he's a standard anti-hero and you don't see him do anything obviously he does stuff that's morally reprehensible but you don't see him do anything that you think oh fuck him he's, an, he's like the worst person I know I, I would love him to be the villain you yeah. know what I mean yeah, it's a bad bastard. Aye. I like that actually. I, I mean, like that's such a basic one. But looking back, that Tom Hanks has never actually really played a proper villain, which is fucking crazy. Also, he made the substance movie. Yeah. See when he came up in that cameo, it was are, like, so fucking funny though. Well, I mean, like the whole world of Simpsons fans, but it wouldn't have been hard to kind of fucking bit the, of shit. The, like the Simpsons movie was the step up from yeah, what the Simpsons, Simpsons was, was doing at that time. But I, I think it's kind of sad that the Simpsons is maybe if you look at maybe the first nine series of the Simpsons. It is arguably the greatest TV show in general ever made, and it's just so bad that over the past like what fucking you know, sixteen, seventeen years, it's just degraded and the being yeah. Just, there's there's more bad uh, basically, basically a pop culture bath. Yeah. Like let's just take modern stories and and, and throw them in there and see what happens. But anyway, I still fucking love this. Any ever seen uh, Pacific Heights? Pacific no. Heights. It was Michael Keaton as a baddie. Hmm? I mean, no. he, he, he played it in like the, I think it's Desperate Measures or something like that there and. Uh, or is it? It's, it's something like that. Everybody plays like a serial killer. It's just this really weird film I flicked over one night, and it was on, and he was just, just this guy rented a flat in his house, but mm. he just, it's, it's like a pure psychological mind fuck of a film, and that he, he just knows where the, the cracks are in the law, yeah. and he just, he's just such a twisted character in it. But I always, it's just, it was always one of those ones. It was like he's so against Titan. He was so, he was kind of terrifying. He was really good in it. Yes, my one. I'm. I'm just gonna be for once short and to the points. Uh, and it might sound like a bit. It might sound like a bit of a basic one. No, I actually will. Because obviously, we want to get on the next topic. Is uh, just Jim Carrey and the Truman Show. Fantastic. Because when you look back at Jim Carrey and the Truman Show, the Truman Show it has like certainly uh, aspects of comedy. But it is nowhere near the comedy, the slapstick stuff that Jim Carrey was doing for Ace Ventura and stuff like that in the 90s. Mostly, the Truman Show is a, is a, is a comment on, uh, first of all, it's a drama film, and it's a comment on how kind of disposable 
are showing how influential fucking you know TV is in the modern age. And I think, I think that the Truman Show's way ahead of its time. Oh, 100 percent. And I love that I made this point last week. And I don't want to make the point again, but very quickly, I will say that I think that Peter Weir's underrated. Uh, unbelievably underrated director. I'll I, I'll not go on it. Hopefully, can we can we can we car park that? And we can maybe talk about Peter Weir next week because it's always yeah. been a thing of mine that right. I think he's a hugely hugely underrated director. Topic yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? There we are. I'm nine step forward. Peter Weir as a director is my topic next week. Everybody just switches off, but I'm gonna, anyway, I'm gonna get all my witness fucking things going. Right yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm gonna fucking start watching Master and Commander again. But uh, yeah, Truman Show. I think it was one of the first times, if not the first time, that Jim Carrey took a role that wasn't straight comedy. And like I said last week, like I said last week, the man who played Ace Ventura was lovely, not speaking out of his fucking hole. You know what I mean? Out of his ass. So it was just nice to see a film that dwelled on what reality TV was and like you were saying there now it's become more and more prescient with every passing year yeah. reality TV has come massively massively a part of fucking pop just culture makes more and more sense every year precisely and I just loved his performance in it in that first of all you were just used to him doing these really basically cartoon caricature characters but then not only was he playing a human being but he was playing a human being in this very very specific context and he pulled it off beautifully yeah. so anyway moving on that's all the topics oh we're done oh baby oh wait recommendations oh shit do you have a recommendation I have a recommendation I've been faltering between two in my head uh, I, I'll just go straight you go straight in I don't have a recommendation this week oh come <laughs> on you must have a recommendation I've realised I've, I've mentioned all the films I've seen. Ah, uh, no, you I've must only have seen four films. Fuck, what then? Right, well, I, I can add to My first recommendation, we, we talked about him uh, about a week ago, uh, was Brick by Ryan Johnson. Oh. Oh, well, how about I say that's my one, you say something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll love do, that film. We'll, we'll do a swap. Oh, we'll do a wee uh, tag team here. <laughs> Brick by Ryan Johnson. I love that film because I'm a, a fucking ultra, ultra film noir fan. Love film noir. Uh, I don't like the fact that my film noir is that it's just kind of seen as the cool genre because it's guys in like cool suits and it's got these cool lighting aspects. I think that the, the thematic aspects of film noir are kind of overlooked and what it actually meant at that time, you know, especially after like kind of World War Two and what it said about America. But we'll not go on that. That actually could be an hard topic for next week considering I struggle with it. Add it to the list. What about but, uh, political backdrops? The enhanced crime. Yes, of course. My that, friends actually right now. I passed that on the man. It was fucking really class. Uh, yeah. Topic. It's brilliant. But uh, Brooke, I like because it is fall noir. It's marrying these two things. It's fall noir in a high school setting. Oh, See, Brick? Oh, uh, the, the first time I seen Brick, I think it, it was it was. No, we're doing recommendations. recommendations. Oh, we're on the, the first time I seen Brick, it was Sean Coyle that recommended to me. And I watched it, and I think I was just too young. I wasn't that experienced in, like, films or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I did not pick up on the whole noir aspect yeah. of it. Which, if you've ever seen Brick, is really fucking hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's so in your face that it's a yeah. film noir. I'm just a fucking idiot. And all fairness, no, no, you're not an idiot, because no, no, no. I, 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 I'll totally agree. But I'll totally I, agree. I, I, I watched it years later then. And I seen this film, and I, I think I just, I think I just liked it the first time, just because I'm a big fan of Jogo. And it's a very good nerd of you. He's, he's, he's just, I just love Jogo, and uh, Jogo, Jogo, no. <laughs> and uh, no, but the second time I watched it, and the whole noir thing, and just, 
I'm arguing with the vice principal. Yeah. You know what's crazy is that you know what's crazy is that the first time I watched Brick, I think I bought it in DVD when I was like 17, 18, maybe 19. And I just liked it the very same as you. I liked it narrative wise, and it was just a really cool film. And then I rewatched it again about two years ago because obviously at that time my knowledge of film and, and, and how you kinda I looked at films was was not up to scratch whatsoever. So when I look back at it, it's so blatantly a pastiche of film noir, yeah. mixed up with a kind of like a, a teen thriller, teen film. And what I love about it is how obviously film noir is renowned for having this kind of fast talking high trousers, this fast talk snappy dialogue. But and now we return to fast talk high trousers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But this fast talk snappy dialogue. But I love about that script is that. It takes this fast talk and snappy dialogue, but recreates it in a modern day kind of high school setting. But it doesn't sound forced. It doesn't sound over the top. I, I remember, and it modernizes yeah. it. Yeah. But the only thing I will say as well is that essentially that was that that kind of uh, that's how Ryan Johnson announced himself. And if you looked at if he went from that and listeners, if you're on the Star Wars, obviously he is now prepped to make one of the next Star Wars films. Episode it is eight. excellent. And of course, if you watch Looper. He developed on from that, so fucking check Ryan he, Johnson. He can, check Brickard. Is you say Brothers Bloom? He can skip Brothers Bloom, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Brothers Bloom is, very quickly, it's a good film, but it, it's got fucking nothing on the, the films we've been discussing. But anyway, your recommendation. Oh, Jesus. Uh, if you don't have one, it's fine. We can just wrap up. Because that one there now was a tag team between me and Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> always tag team each other. Like. Uh, no, I'll, I'll go for one. Um, like Kevin way. Uh, I think that's easy. I mean, I just... I, these recommendations, you forget about your favourite films. One of my favourite films is another rated films, Carolina's Way. Benny Blanco from the Lags. That's it, hey. Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Hey. It's, I remember actually watching a feature about it and saying that it was just after Pacino won the Oscar. I think uh, one of the screenwriters had been nodded for an Oscar and then somebody else in the team or the producer or something, somebody had got another Oscar. It was a, Previous to this, there was three of the big people involved in that film and uh because they thought it was going to be a big film. It was yeah. going to be great. Pacino and De Palma back from Scarface. Another, another it's like 10 years later, right, we'll make another film. And uh, one of the guys said one night when they were editing, because they thought it was a great film, they thought mm-hmm. they had their, really had their hands on someone. And he said, I don't think anybody's going to see this film. Mm-hmm. I think, he said, I think we're going to we're going to look like we're uh, going back to that classic style just to grab another Oscar. And he says, and that's why people won't go to see it. And I was yeah. like, fucking hell. And I, and I said, Everybody's like that's bullshit, but but then a couple of guys on the, on the team said he fucking called it exactly right, which is crazy for a it's film. Me, it's mental. For a no, film, it's a, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I well, think that's a great fucking piece of work. Like. For a film that's so highly considered, for even like fucking some of some of the top brass on the film, they be all, all people are just going to think we're going back. They fucking try and mine Oscars. That's mental mm. because looking back at it now, you wouldn't think of it as a fucking Oscar bait sort of film whatsoever. Yeah. It's just a really down there real crime thriller you know what I mean it's great I mean it has all the I mean it has all the the polish and all the blessed with, with a, a lot of Brian De Palma films have Brian De Palma I think is guilty of state over substance yeah. whereas I think Carlito's Way is a perfect example it's got a great story it's based on a really good book uh, it's based on two books actually and uh, what I think has happened because when you've got such a good cast you've got Pacino and you've got Sean Penn mm-hmm. fucking top of their game I think which the nineties is a fucking great period for Pacino and De Niro. Like. Yeah. But when you have that, I think it doesn't matter if it's that visually driven. I think you get two actors that pick their powers. You wouldn't need to worry about it as much. Like precisely. Yeah. But cool. Check it out. Okay, and we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word. 
Share it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media you use. You can subscribe, leave us comments, reviews on iTunes, any other podcast service. You can give us topics, questions, email us at letstalkmoremovies at gmail.com. Thank you so for, so much for listening. I've been your host, Michael Breslin. Sean Coyle has been Sean Coyle. Colm Heron has been Colm Heron. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hey, hey! <laughs> Someone pressed that. <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.